the frying pan. And into the fire. Run. Run! Welcome to episode 17 of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-Earth strategy battle game podcast. You may learn something, and whether what you see be fair or evil, that may be profitable. And yet it may not, seeing as both good and perilous. So chaps, uh, either of you know what at all that uh, quote's from? Are we supposed to pretend we haven't already recorded this and know the answer now? Well, we can try. <laughs> no, <laughs> true. No, out of the frying I, I pan don't fashion. know. I don't know. I don't know where that, well, that's come from. <laughs> <laughs> so it is uh, spoken by Fair Galadriel to uh, Frodo and Sam before they look in the mirror. And it's just a mere reflection upon how knowledge isn't always a good thing, as uh, evidenced by the FAQ. It's caused a bit of controversy <laughs> recently, which we'll uh, come on to later in the show. But, uh, you know, not all knowledge is good, and not all knowledge is to good ends. So how are you doing, boys? I'm I'm pretty good. Yourself? Yeah, all good. Sam? Yeah, I'm I'm very good, thank you very much. Apart from the uh, the heat plaguing this country at the moment, yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been it's been sweaty. It's uh, affecting my internet. Um, it's um, a bit cooler now. We've had some storms overnight and a lot of rain here in in my part of the world. Um, what's it been like where you guys are? Uh, it's been very rainy today, um, and I work uh, up sort of in, in the eaves at my workplace. I am back at work, and it does sound like we have uh, an unexpected party dancing on the roof. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is good to be a bit cooler. It's probably dropped about six, seven degrees from what it has been the last few days. And to be honest, I wouldn't be recording this in the, that previous weather. It, it's too hot for that. It's too hot for breathing, let alone anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I've been super envious of people's Instagram stories with all the rain. Uh, our friend Tom uh, shared a beautiful thunderstorm going on in, in just outside his house. And I was sat here just baking like, why can't we have the rain in Portsmouth? Um, but yeah, uh, it could be better. It could be worse. <laughs> cool stuff. So right. What have we got going on today, guys? Um, right, so uh, we have our usual many meetings, and obviously Sam's back with us um, for this episode, so it'll um, be good to find out what Sam's been getting up to. I think there's been a little teaser for that, or something you posted up in the page and group last week. Um, yeah. And then for our Council of Elrond, we have a guest, another guest. We like having guests on um, <laughs> on this show. And we have Ben Stanley, who um, a few a few listeners will probably have heard of or met on the tournament scene maybe more a few years ago. Ben's local, lives local to me or localish to me, but definitely games um, within the local group that I, I game with. Um, so he's back in the country, having been overseas for a very long time, longer than he originally planned to because of COVID, working overseas. So he's back in the country. Promise we'll get him on the show. He's had a few name drops over the time, so he's going to come on, um, have a bit of general chat, but then also um, join us for the FAQ chat. We thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about the FAQ and some of the changes, and um, and he'd be perfect to come along and uh, have a natter with us about it. Um, we have heroic deathmatch coming up as usual, and today's offering is Bjorn and Bolg. Um, so we're looking forward to getting into that later in the day. So. Why don't we take a little break now? When we come back, it will be many meetings. Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire. Visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs. We stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK. 
market-leading gaming mats from GameMat.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. And we're back for many meetings, and it's, it's a good one because we've got Sam with us as well, so the whole team's here. Um, so um, who wants to who wants to kick us off? Dan, what have you been up to since we uh, last recorded? Well, uh, you know, it's not necessarily hobby-related, or that has affected my hobby. I went back to work. Yay! That's so um, that's a good thing, you know. Um, although I'm obviously being sensitive to the people who have not been quite fortunate that does absolutely suck and my heart goes out to everyone who's been affected in that way but for my case you know it as much as having to go to work to earn a living again you know i can't sit around and pay miniatures all day it is nice to be back at work but i have still got some hobby done so i've actually been painting my nazgul and i have pretty much finished them um i need to go in and do sort of grave mould and um, dirt and stuff on their robes, uh, paint that in. That's uh, tomorrow's job, uh, glaze all that in. But by and large, they're, they're done and ready for basing. So um, I've ordered my Sauron slash Necromancer. He hopefully arrives tomorrow. So making good strides on that. And then I can start thinking about display boards for Thrones next year. Thrones Skulls. So uh, that's not been bad at all. So I've actually done some good Lord of the Rings, Middle-earth hobby. Um, aside from that, I've um, been listening to quite a lot of uh, the content been put out. Uh, listen to the latest sent me. Uh, Harry had uh, James of Articon fame on, so it was good to catch up with that. Obviously, I wasn't going this year, but it was really interesting. Uh, someone who's never been has no idea what's going on with it, um, apart from some of the other coverage, to actually hear what goes into it, how he's negotiated with the hotels, um, which from parts of my background, I can tell you isn't always easy. Um, so fair play to him. And then, you know, giving him a voice um, to speak to people out in the community to explain, you know, what's been going on, uh, the reasons for some of the decisions that have been made regards Articon. Uh, as I understand it, it was quite late in the day to announce cancellation. But that was really interesting. And I've listened to the vast majority of the Shire episode of The Green Dragon, which has been an immense amount of fun. Uh, I do enjoy uh, listening to the guys talk about whichever army it is on, but you can't help but uh, detect they do have a, a bit of a passion for the halflings. So it's been really interesting to listen to that. Uh-huh. Um, it's also made me think slightly, I have to admit, I've, I wouldn't say I've dismissed them as a force, but I've dismissed them as potentially an army that I would play completely Competitively, although I hate using that word, yeah, they've always seemed uh, more a theme over function army. But things they've highlighted makes me sort of think differently about that. I'm not going to say it'd be easy. It certainly seems like it's one of those armies you need to have a more fluid understanding of the game, particularly with the number of models on the board, to get the most out of them. But mm-hmm. they do seem to have more to offer than I thought they did. Cool. Uh, and then watched uh, the battle streams episode. Yes. Uh, of, which was fantastic. I, I very much enjoyed the slipper-related banter. I firmly <laughs> agree with Damien. They don't belong outside. They belong inside because dirty outside. And uh, I've also watched the um, Top Table Gaming FAQ overview. 
So that right. must be coming handy for later on today, so I can borrow some of Steve's views. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 been pretty good. Um, obviously, the heat's not helped with me wanting to do hobby. Unfortunately, I've not been able to get any gaming in yet. But I've uh, got more painting than I thought I would, um, probably because I've taken quite a long time to paint what I have on the Nazgul because I'm making an effort. Yeah. Uh, rather than just uh, get them out, gaming standard, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, it's been good. When you've got, lower, when you've got a lower number of, of models, you can. it's nice to spend a bit of time working on them, isn't it? You don't feel that pressure of, if I spend too long, I'm going to be doing this for years because there's 100 of them. When you've only got your... You've only got nine. You can obviously you've got you've got a couple of more models to go for the whole army. But when you've got that short, small amount, you can really sort of enjoy doing it and not worry about it too much. Yeah, um, I've been able to lavish a bit of time and attention on them. Um, I spent quite a lot of time highlighting armor, which has been it's been good fun. I've enjoyed it actually. I've really really enjoyed painting them. A very different palette and a very different style to a lot of the stuff I've been painting recently. Yeah, it's a close up. The close-ups and the work-in-progress pics of them have been lovely to see, uh, and the subtle little changes that we're, we're getting to see in the background has been lovely. Sorry, that's me teasing everybody, but <laughs> yeah, they look absolutely stunning. And it's the more they're one of those models that you've done that the more you look at the the models and the painting that you've done on them, the more you go, oh, I've, I can see you've done that a little bit, and and it it hurts my heart because I know I don't have the patience to do that, but they look absolutely stunning and the dungeon keeper uh looks absolutely outstanding too well thank you very much um i have enjoyed doing them uh, obviously i set the standard with the uh, the old keeper um because he was just a bit of a labor of love i've always wanted to paint that model i've always found it beautiful um so i gave him a lot of time and attention and then uh, had to match it with the nazgul which means i've got to paint nine similar models and give them a lot of interest because they are essentially just metal and cloth which i know people say that's an awful lot but they are predominantly just armor and robes there's yeah. not a lot of distinction to them other than that they're very different styles etc but you have to try and put a lot of tone and character into you know there's no faces there's no skin there's no um fancy uh sort of symbols or heraldry none of that it's simply a case of nine old feudal dudes in their decaying armor and their robes with some nasty pointy looking weapons looking to uh, scare the bejesus out of everyone so well, that, giving that, them a bit of tone and character has been quite interesting that, that, that there's nine beautiful character sculpts there that essentially also share the characteristics of a, of a nine man unit because yes. they're very similar in, the, in in what they're wearing etc so while they're all different they're also very very similar so you treat them as painted like a unit as well so it's a bit that kind of balance between getting them to look cohesive but also giving them the sort of the duty and attention that you would do if they were nine heroes across a, a wider faction so to speak yeah I've, I've found that slightly interesting to do i've obviously painted them at the same time i've done the same stage on each one and just gone through them um so they you know, they are cohesive, there's all of the armor tones and everything are the same, um, which, you know, I don't actually think about it when you say that's possibly not always a good thing, but it does work on them, I promise. Uh, yeah, they've been they've been good fun. They're, they're very different to anything else I've painted. Yeah, well, they look great, and, and uh, I'm sure people will think the same when they see them, and I know you've done more than we've seen, but from what we have seen, they look fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing them all 
finished up on well, on their bases and uh yeah i need to order those soon um yeah as i said my uh sauron slash necromancer should arrive tomorrow um awesome. they are different to how i've seen them painted before i've not seen anyone else paint them that's it may just because i've not been looking hard enough but uh-huh. i've not seen them generally painted in the same way i painted them no i so. don't think i have either which is which is which is nice we talked about it before in previous shows didn't we about whether you see the the glow effect quite a lot and it looks fantastic and that's not knocking it but it's because it looks so good and because that's a, a, a good interpretation of what's seen in the film in many ways it seems to be the go the go-to kind of way of doing it so um seeing something slightly different is, is cool as well but also completely matches and doesn't, doesn't look like it stands out from the film if that makes sense yeah i've tried to remain sympathetic definitely um tones there's a lot of um grays and browns been mixed into colors to keep that slightly um muted palette that yeah. particularly that section of the movie has yes it does there, yeah. there's a very very the, the only colors that really stick out is obviously the bright fire of um, the necromancer when he's revealed in all his sourly glory and then when the the white council turn up you've got the sharp whites and then the the very vibrant blue of galadriel when she goes you know full elf queen so trying to keep that muted middle earthy tone is has been quite interesting but i think i've just about got it yeah you so definitely, quite happy have. With it. definitely have uh, enough about me what's young sam been up to young sam um i well, have <laughs> I, I am the young one i don't i don't necessarily feel it but yes i am the young one um i have been painting saruman uh, I have the old metal model, and I, to those who, I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast or not, but uh, my airbrush for the last few months has been up in the loft. Uh, at the start of lockdown, I moved my desk up into the loft to sort of try and clear, clear a little bit of space. And um, obviously, it's a little bit too hot in the loft to airbrush. So I finally got it down and airbrushed in my dining room. The other day and i was like i really want to just do one model i'm going to do saruman so i uh, grabbed the model and just did all the different sort of beigey colors and shades that i could on there and uh, it was a, a nice little afternoon project um and very different to what i've painted recently what we've painted in the fellowship and uruk high and stuff like that so it was a nice little color palette change for me looks awesome as well did you thank you did you can fully finish it i can't remember i thought you it was a was it a work in progress you showed I, I definitely put the work in progress picture up on the page yes i honestly can't remember if i i did i can't remember anything since. now you got me guessing i can't remember anything since. Uh, i don't I, think I, you've even shared it with us in our in our chats either so if you finished it no. i don't think you've shared oh it. oh you're have. working on the big man that's that's as you put it Oh well, he is finished. Um, <laughs> just, just I just clearly you. forgot. This this just goes to show how <laughs> out out of social media I've been. Um, I just can't. I just keep forgetting to take pictures of stuff. Um, and yeah, so he is finished. I will go get him from the loft at some point because <laughs> that's where he currently sits. Um, <laughs> but I've I've also primed and started airbrushing my. Uh, Urukai Siege Ballista, and uh, I have primed Halbrad, Halbrad, uh, ready to be painted as well. 
uh, for no project other than the fact that it's just a model that I loved back when War of the Ring came out. Uh, no, no other reason for doing it, really. That's uh, that's getting you back into painting and you enjoy it. Well, it doesn't even matter if you're just enjoying doing them. I think that's the best way to do it, isn't it, really? It takes the yeah. pressure away, especially with you and your you know, already pretty much painted army anyway. So mm. getting yourself back into um, the... Uh, getting your painting eye back in on something like this. I know you've been painting other systems, but it's definitely a different style of painting is um, just go for anything you want to anything you enjoy. I, the thing that I do enjoy about painting the Lord of the Rings or uh, Middle Earth stuff is that the palettes are so different to what I'm used to painting. When, mm -hmm. when I do uh, sort of 30 K um, it's you're painting hundreds of things, exactly the same blue or red, depending what you're painting and then uh with necromunda everything's very bright and vibrant and i'm doing color palettes and i'm uh, having to sort of uh black stuff out a lot more than i usually would uh so the color palettes that i use for middle earth are, are quite enjoyable to do because they're nothing like i do in other systems yes yeah yeah it makes sense um but yeah no that's that's my middle earth stuff in the in the grand scheme of what I have to go through. Uh, I might be picking up some uh, stuff for a future project. I'm mm -hmm. currently waiting on a price for stuff, but I, I there is a box of stuff that I'm looking to pick up for something super secret. Uh, it's not even secret, but uh, something that I want to do in the future. Nice, nice. Well, Just um... a dirty tease, isn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the problem of that we know what I'm like. If if I have too many armies lying about, I end up selling them. So <laughs> at this particular moment, until I can get a game in for Middle-earth, there's no point me teasing anything because uh, obviously the weekend that Flotsam and Jetsam was meant to happen was the weekend everything went into lockdown. Yeah. And that was going to be my weekend of pretty much learning and playing middle earth yes. and then where that got cancelled and everyone got put into lockdown it basically i don't want to say killed my lord of the rings mojo but it basically meant that i was like ah i can't play that game now and yeah. i'd been building up ready for it and i'd obviously done the big project with the display for the fellowship and it was sort of like a ah and it just put like a big stop sign in front of it all so i've i felt a little bit like ah whereas other games i've played enough that i could play them either against uh, my wife or uh, recently with friends who also played it, whereas yes. Middle-earth was one that I had to avoid. So hopefully with everything starting to ease a little bit more, it's going to get the, that mojo back for playing Middle-earth, which I didn't die. That's not, that's not the right phrase, but uh, <laughs> something that I haven't been able to enjoy because I've been looking forward to playing all those games with Dan and seeing all the different armies and seeing how a Middle-earth event works. So hopefully that will be back on track. Yeah, I think um, for anyone whose sort of primary focus of, of gaming is actually the game playing, when it's that they enjoy that more than they do the other parts of it, starting a new system and then lockdown happening is, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult for anyone. Some people will be, you know, happy to say, right, well, I'm going to just get around and start painting all my bits ready to play. But you definitely get, you find your enthusiasm from uh, playing games and um, then. I think that's probably why you haven't done your. I mean, you you tell me. I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that's why you haven't finished off all your last bits for your your Shire army. You've got all your lovely Forge Wild Hobbits to do. But if you had played more games with them, and you're like, right, I want to try this guy next, you'd you'd have done all those by now. But because you're not playing, it just puts a natural kind of break on it, doesn't it? 
that's it, that is the perfect way to explain it uh and a, a good way of sort of adding to that is the whole reason that necromunda is quite an easy thing to for me to pick up is because i think two weeks before lockdown started i got to play uh against tom our, our friend yes uh with necromunda and then i hadn't played middle earth for a very long i had like the first intro game well, the first couple of games and the game against Stu, and then I sort of couldn't get a game in until Flotsam and Jetsam. So it was a, a little yep. bit of a stale, yeah. not stalemate. It's stalled it a little bit for me, but what? it's not. But like, like I say, I, I, I try to get all my stuff fully painted for the table because I don't like to have unpainted armies on there. But gaming is my how I enjoy yeah. this hobby, and it's just the thing I haven't been able to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely a fully painted person. You're, uh, but yeah, you do it for ready for the. What about the? Because there are some players local to you. Did you just not kind of get in with that group enough early on in order to kind of build up the relationships where um, you can kind of play with them during this period and social distance kind of way, or is it just just that none of them are playing at the moment? Uh, a little bit from both columns. Uh, uh, I. There's only a few people locally who I am comfortable playing against at the moment. Unfortunately, those people are either playing different games at the moment or their focus is on other things like the new uh, 40k dropped and basically most of the area is all about that. Um, And the only person who I can reliably play any sort of tabletop game with, his thing is Necromunda at the moment, so that's what we're playing. Which makes sense, and you enjoy Necromunda anyway, so it's not like it's a kind of it's it's you 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 play multiple systems. So uh, as much as you'd you'd like to play Middle Earth, um, you love playing Necromunda mm-hmm. as well. So if you've got someone that's happy to play Necromunda, you you kind of automatically, I imagine, don't really think about playing Middle Earth. Yeah, um, and at once uh, my local club club hope opens up properly, then yeah. there's a strong chance I'll be able to get in and request a game of Middle Earth with people. But in terms of people I'm comfortable playing against at the moment, for, for me, it's a it's a trust thing in lockdown. Like There's certain people who I will happily invite to play a game against and other people who it's not necessarily that I don't trust you. It's that I'm not comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult at the moment, isn't it? And it's, um, it's difficult having conversations with, with people about it because people are... Have very different views on it themselves, and um, and, and sadly, it's uh, inherently political sometimes. So you don't want to get caught in a situation where you'd agree to have a game with someone, and one of them's one per one person. Not saying which you are, but some person, you know, must wear mask, must do this, must be there. Another person's like, now nah, it's all, and it's it's definitely some awkward conversations at the moment between people. So um, I can understand why it's people that you you've known for a long time, and you know what you you know what you can expect with when you. In, in this in this strange time, so to speak. Yeah. Cool. Well, you will get there. You will you will get some games, even if it's not till uh, we all get together. Um, um, I don't know. I'm guessing you're not um, on the road working so much at the moment, since um, you, you're doing I, different things. I am not. I am not allowed to train in any location at the moment. We've been doing a bit of like Skype training and stuff like that with people, but it. Yeah, I'm. I am not traveling at all. My poor van has uh, doesn't know what's happened to it. It's a shame. We could, you could have, if you were up this way again, we could have had a garden game, and you could have um, had a puppy biting your ankles as you uh, as an extra distraction <laughs> as you try to remember rules. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and, and, that, and that's another thing is I don't want necessarily for, to go out and play a game with people who, for, for them, it might be their one game for two weeks. It might be their game for the month or whatever. And they're playing against me who just, I don't know the system well enough mm-hmm. or don't remember the system well enough to play it. And so they can have an enjoyable game, if that makes sense. I I understand where you're coming from because I my mind can work like that sometimes. But I, I would I would hazard a guess that you were being overly harsh and overly conscious about that and thinking of others far too much. There, I think people would genuinely just enjoy getting together and, and playing the game. And most people love to get new people engaged in the game and teach them and help them. So um, so yeah, I, I don't I can't imagine. Unless someone, which is not happening at the moment, unless someone that was entirely super competitive wanted to practice a, and play a really competitive game, I'm sure most gamers would be more than happy to uh, play a relaxed game with you. But it will come. It will come, I'm sure. I feel, I feel like we're sort of trying to coerce me into like dating again or something like that. It's <laughs> like, don't worry, the right person will come along, Sam. It's okay. <laughs> Stop trying the wrong types of games. You're always falling for the wrong types of game. <laughs> She's not worth it, mate. <laughs> uh, she's too flashy and expensive. You want to stick stick with a stick with this nice playing game that you've known. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before we, before sorry, we, we've gone off on a tangent. We, before we go off on any more of a tangent, yes. So your your next one you're planning is going to be Halberad, did you say? And uh, and you're going to do some bits for. Um, Extra to your, your Isengard stuff, stuff you might need for our up and coming at some point in the future. Helm's Deep game, aren't you? I think when we were talking the other day. Yeah, I, I think I, I want to get the ballista and stuff like fully finished. Um, I've got little bits that I can uh, sort of do quite quickly. Uh, I think the only other thing that I really wanted to try and grab was maybe an Isengard troll uh-huh. to sort of add a little bit of beef to the army, and it's a part of the game I've not played with yet so hopefully that'll be something worth worth doing as well you can pick up the plastic ones fairly easily because they're uh, a ten a penny in there from the, the pen and all sets you get the sprue that makes them all i've got a metal one i managed to pick that up on ebay so it was one of those but the the ballista will be definitely be good because i haven't got one of those and uh, can't see me picking any of those up for a while so but um um was chatting to ben a little bit about it and with all the stuff he's got you reckon we'll we think we can probably easily get 2,000 points worth of um, Isengarders together between us all. So um, hopefully it will be enough. We might have to still have to recycle stuff. But that's for another show. That's for another show. <laughs> um, what about you? Yeah. Um, I've been doing a lot of the same stuff Dan's been doing, apart from painting his models, obviously. Um, I've pretty much been listening to all of the uh, – and watching all of the, the social media stuff that he has been. I've got through both of the massive um, Green Dragon episodes and really, really, really enjoyed them both, but definitely enjoyed the Shire one. Um, I'm a bit like you, Dan. I'm not – for slightly different reasons. Um, I love Hobbits and I love the Shire. It's my favourite part of Lord of the Rings, but I also like to collect armies that I can – envisage fighting in a, in a wider campaign that's not told in the book or the, the film so if you collect um, Rohan you know they find lots of other battles you know that there's other things going on in in different periods or that you know with orcs that there's going to be loads of orc raids on this and that that's just not told in the story there's a lot of kind of assumed history there isn't there whereas with Shire 
we pretty much know that there's not un- other unassumed battles going on really is there not mass battles anyway there's the ones that are told are the ones that are told and told of in the stories unless i'm missing something so that's something that kind of i don't know i could never picture a narrative where that army would fight outside of um the scurrying of the shire or you get your your kind of prequel ones you, you you're taking on golfing ball kind of thing so that kind of puts me off a little bit um but i may well they do sound like they're fun to play so it, i might be tempted one day but i think as i discussed on previous shows my first goal will be collecting sort of six seven eight hundred points worth of each army that's um that appears in the films um as part of the main the main kind of narrative um and then i'll start moving on to some of the other things afterwards but anyway so yeah i listened to Mo. that was really good to listen to about the articon stuff it's really interesting um what else have i done watch the battle streams when i was watching that i painted ugluck um so i actually speed painted it on the night um which i quite enjoyed doing actually i mean i really don't need ugluck painted right now um he's not, technically he shouldn't even be used in our siege game but i think i'm just going to use him as a, a captain to make use of him um just use him as a normal or a captain but um but it was just nice watching this watching the stream and actually painting um what was on the stream i've, I've started work on a few things before that have been on the stream to sort of enter you into the little competition um, i've built stuff but i've never sort of started and finished anything and i had the uh the model from the Battle Games of Middle Earth magazines, and he was in my big box of Isengard, and I thought, right, I'm just going to do it, and it was, it was good fun. But um, that's the only thing personally that I've started and finished painting Middle Earth wise. Finished the Kazakh Dum commission, um, sent that off. That's sent that's all back with its owner in America now. Um, but it was good, good having work that was Middle Earth related, and I have been painting my Defense of Helmdeet stuff. I actually started doing it rather than just have been built. Um, I've been working on the elves first. I thought I'll get them out of the way, so I've been. Um, I've got the base layers of blue down and all the, the cloaks and things on them and the red down on, on Haldir's one. Um, ready to sort of, sort of start on the highlights of those. All gone to metallics. Don't know which I'm going to do next. Um, and um, what else? I've got, um, I don't know whether it'll arrive on time. It was dispatched today about Snugger and Grishnak from Forgeworld that will, if it arrives tomorrow in time, um, as we're recording this now, it's Thursday the 12th or 13th? 13th. 13th. Um, and I think there's a stream due on the 14th about Battle Streams of Middle Earth stream, and it's um, the Grishnak one. Um, so if it arrives in time, I will very least get him cleaned up and built while the stream's on. Um, I seem to have uh, been um, inspired by working on the exact model for the last one i thought i'd give it a go again whether i get to my desk or not tomorrow or not on i'm not sure i'm on child duty and uh, the youngest isn't sleeping very well in these hot nights um so i may end up watching it on my phone while i'm sitting in his room trying to get him back to sleep but we shall see um but other than that, that's been it i mean i've been pouring through the the faqs i've been um working out lists and reading articles towards planning for the Helm's Deep. And we're going to do a show about that soon, just some of the things that we've been looking at to do with, with Helm's Deep. Maybe the next one, depending on how time goes. Um, so we're going to do a, a episode where we talk a little bit about some of the previous Helm's Deep scenarios and um, and what we're going to do for our game, basically. We're going to sort of talk, hash it out as we, uh, say, live on the show. We're live when we record it, obviously, not as you guys hear it. Um, but that's been it. So Head's very much still in Middle Earth, um, but my own personal output has only been one completed model in the last sort of, couple of weeks. Right then. So I think that draws us to a, a nice natural conclusion, unless you guys have got anything else you'd like to talk about. 
Not this stage, no. Fantastic. Right. So we will go for a little break, and when we come back, we will have Ben Stanley with us. The hour grows late, and bland of grey plastic comes seeking my counsel. You are sure of this bland elf? Yes, the event is fully painted. It was in the event pack, under my nose the whole time. Yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love for the Facebook group has slowed your mind. We must join him, Blandalf. The commission painter. We must be fully painted. When did Surly Man the White give in to madness? But I am now Surly Man of many colours. Miniature Realm Studio is a commission painting service. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or contact us directly at miniaturerealmstudio at gmail.com. You have elected the way of paint. And we're back after the break uh, with another special guest. Um, and very pleased to welcome Ben Stanley to the show. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. You? Really good. Really, really good. It's good to, good to hear good. your voice. When did, I, when, when did we last see each other? It's a long time, wasn't oh. it? Has it been a year? It's been a while. It's been since the last Cheltenham event, I think, at Income Gaming. Yeah, or was it the the open play day? I can't remember. What was the order of things? Actually, it might have been the open play day. I've got a feeling because we went and had lunch, didn't we? Yeah. I've actually, yeah, no, you're right, actually, it is the open play day. I couldn't remember which one came first out of the two, but I think you're right. I think it's the open play day. Yeah. Where the, I, introduced, I introduced you to Sauron. You did. You schooled me on, with, with mm. Sauron. Yeah, I think, that, I think that was it. So we, we, I think I played you second game that day, but we, we sort of hung out and had a bit of a relaxed open play day. And, uh, and yeah. then it wasn't long after that that you were off overseas with your work and um, yes. been overseas for a while and delayed a bit more because of COVID and uh, yeah. only recently yeah. back, yeah? Yeah, the apocalypse struck and we got stuck out there uh, about six weeks longer than we originally uh, planned to. But all back now, so it's all good. No, it is good, especially when you're away from your, your family and stuff. That's, um, yes, yes. Happy wife, quiet life. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's much quieter now than it was six weeks plus ago, so we're happy. What's your DIY list like? Is it Was it growing quite long when you were away? <laughs> Uh, not so much my DIY list. My wife's quite hands-on, so she tends to get on with that sort of stuff herself. Uh, father's an engineer, so you know it runs in the family. So, cool. but for me, my my hobby list was growing ever and ever longer. When I actually realised what I needed to get on with when I got back. So, having seen, uh, I mean, all I could do was sit and watch all the the various um, Facebook pages and groups and oh. YouTube channels, and obviously listening to your own podcast of what people are getting up to. Gave me a, a really desirable itch. I needed to uh, a hobby itch that I needed to scratch as soon as possible so i've been stuck in since i've got back oh i'd hate that but that, that's a perfect segue to to start us off really so as as any guest on the show we'd like to sort of talk to you a little bit about your hobby background so do you want to give us a bit of a, a background on how you started in the game and what you're playing things yeah so i started i had an interest in lord of the rings from uh when the fellowship of the ring came out um I didn't watch it in the cinema because I was too young. So my mum bought it for me on VHS <laughs> uh, from like Sainsbury's or Tesco's. Uh, and that was it. I was hooked uh, immediately. Had read the books at that point, but we did have the uh, audio, the original audio uh, recordings, like the audio books, if you want, yep. early audio books for The Hobbit uh, and then for The Lord of the Rings. Um, and, you know, the Lord, so The Lord of the Rings, the audio recording where Ian Holm actually played Frodo. Yes. Um, so yeah, that was good. So I had that. I've still actually got the originals that my mum uh, got for me somewhere um, tucked away for my own children, actually. 
uh, in the next couple of years when they get a bit older. Um, so I was well into Lord of the Rings from that. Saw the Two Towers, which really, for me, uh, it was about that time when I was uh, coaching uh, judo down at my local club in Cheltenham. And uh, a friend of well, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mel, uh, who's run a couple of events at uh, Incom Gaming. Um, I was teaching his children um, judo, and uh, he mentioned he talked about he mentioned that he was going away at the weekend to uh, at that time to do take part in what he called the grand tournament um, for uh, the Lord of the Rings strategy battle game. Uh, obviously, immediately being a big Lord of the Rings nut, I asked him what it was all about. Um, he told me about the hobby I had. No idea. I'd seen, you know, your games workshops. I'd walk through town, but it was all, you know, space marines and all that kind of stuff. And it's never really uh-huh. had much of an appeal to me. I mean, the models are cool and all that kind of stuff, but it's just uh, I've never really delved into that side of uh, of side of things. So um, he basically got got me involved through that way. Sort of showed me, brought uh, the mini 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 blue rule book. So I flicked through that, had the pictures, uh, had to read through the rules, and I must have been about fifteen. 15, 16, so this is like 14 or so years ago. Um, yeah, 14, 15 years ago. Uh, and I flicked through the rule book. Uh, and yeah, I went down to um, a bit of pocket money I'd saved up at the time. I went down to my local games workshop in Cheltenham and I went with my younger brother, uh, Jack, uh, who obviously you know as well. And we went in and uh, in Cheltenham, there used to be a whole wall dedicated. It was covered from foot to floor to ceiling in uh, oh. metal blisters and old plastic boxes at the bottom. Uh, and, you know, that was back in the glory days when a, a blister of, uh, you know, like three Urukai scouts, for example, used to only cost you about £4.20 <laughs> back in the glory days. Uh, and I picked up, because from being a massive nut with the, with the, the two towers that had come out at the time, I got myself uh, Haldir's Elves, or three, just a three, a blister pack of three Haldir's Elves. Jack got himself some Murakai Berserkers, and we spent many an afternoon with just a three-on-three, and he <laughs> smashed me every time with the Uruk Berserkers, obviously. Uh, and we didn't really understand the rules. We didn't understand, you know, the whole fight value thing. You know, we'd start off for some stupid reason. We'd start off, like, six feet apart and spend an hour just moving <laughs> moving them forward with just three troops each, and then he'd get into combat and destroy me. Um and we sort of on and off it for a bit. Mel got us more involved, uh, and then we started to sort of build build our armies into more troops. Uh, at the time, I was fascinated with um, with elves, so the ones that really stuck out for me and my still probably my favourite elves in in the uh, the lore is the the Rivendell elves or the High Elves as it used to be back then. It wasn't obviously Rivendell elves; it was the High Elves, uh, the Eredian elves, or also. And uh, so I got myself the uh, Last Alliance. Uh, box, so the ones that came with the eight eight Numenorians and the and then you'd have um, the High Elf Swordsman and, and the Bowman. wasn't really interested in the Numenorians, just sort of brushed them to a side. Uh, bought myself a box or two and got stuck in. I had like the starter kit uh, paint set, which mm-hmm. had you know like your old school Mithril silver, your, your light blue. I think it was called was it Enchanted Blue. I can't remember what it used yeah, to be. Um, the old school sort of that sort of stuff, you know, with your 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 Chaos Black. Uh, and I just set about painting some really horrendous, as you do as a 17-year-old, or as I was 14, 15-year-old, uh, some sort of horrendous uh, 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 plastics uh, high elves. So they weren't particularly great. And we didn't, again, like I said, we didn't really understand the rules. Jack got fully stuck into the Urukai, bought a couple of boxes of that. He also bought a couple of boxes of Easterlings and Goblins. He decided he was going evil. I was going to have the good armies. He was going to have the evil armies. Uh, and that's the way it sort of went. We just played, me and Jack just played each other. We didn't really have the the confidence to go and play 
down at Games Workshop because we didn't really fully understand the rules and I uh, only saw Mel sort of once a week and that was when I was teaching his kids judo so we never really got much time yeah. uh, and at the time I was I was doing judo sort of uh, five six days a week I was competing on the national circuit so I didn't really have the time to invest in the hobbies I do now um, and then I kind of dropped the hobby for a couple of years I had you know like GCSEs and, and A-levels etc um, so I didn't I sort of dropped out of it until I was about 17 maybe 18 um, and again it's only because Mel started up uh, was on Facebook and uh, invited me to join a little sort of gaming not a little gaming group that he'd established but he, he made our little sort of Facebook group our little messenger we've got uh, and was like, yeah, got me involved. And so I said, yeah, you're coming down to the Two Pigs, um, which is a venue I'm familiar with uh, through uh, the type of music I'm into. I've been to a few times. He said, oh, yeah, there's now a gaming club down there. Uh, Chip runs a gaming club in there. Um, they do a lot of 40K and other stuff. And he says, and I play Lord of the Rings down there occasionally with a couple of guys. Do you want to come down? Yeah, okay, I'll come down and have a look. Uh, and I'd, at this point, by this point, I'd amassed a uh, reasonable... Um, as it is now, Kazadoom, or was it at the time, Durin's Folk uh, list, the old school doors, you know, the Kazad mm-hmm. Guard and, and all that. Um, so I went down, we had a couple of games, and that was it, I was hooked then, completely back into it. So uh, Kazadoom was my sort of army of choice then, um, and I started to push more into Numenor. Uh, for some reason, they really stuck to me, uh, struck to me, and still do now to this day. Numenor uh, is my sort of mannish go-to army. Uh, my army of men, so go to 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 to, to Numenor. Elendil's a, an absolute tank, uh, and he is my auto include. He is the daddy, as far as I'm concerned, for for uh, heroes of men, um, the original, uh, if you like. So I, I always go to Numenor. I've just got this something about the the law uh, and the way they were portrayed in the films as you know striding towards the orcs, all in their formed ranks, nobody panicking. You know they're supposed to be these massive seven foot tall men that would live for four or 500 years and they stride striding towards the orcs without a panic while the orcs sort of rambling towards them and just meet them in battle right outside, um, you know, on the, uh, right outside Mordor and, you know, take the, really take the fight to Sauron. So that's why they always really sort of stood out to me as, uh, fantastic as the, scenes, as aren't the they, go yeah. guys. Yeah. They the really, guys to really go contrast to, so. from the, the Minas Tirith teams you see, especially in sort of the end of the extended two towers and, and return of the King where obviously the Minas Tirith warriors are just normal men and you see them looking more frail and running away and they've, they've kind of balanced yeah. that kind of had the men through the ages and how it's changed. So yeah, I can see what yeah, you're Yeah. I mean, I think for me at the time, and as you more understand it now, obviously the, the Minas Tirith, we see it the time that we see it in the film, They've sort of they were this great kingdom of you know Gondor and Arnor was the Numenorians and they've sort of descended and battered and beaten and sort of the the bloodline's been watered down over the yes, over yeah. the ages and they're now you know the enemies at the gate and they're getting battered and hounded and and like you said you know they're they're afraid for their lives because they don't know what's going to happen next their armies are dwindling they've got a leader in Denethor who's kind of given up and they know he's given up and he's sort of hidden himself away and. You know, it's it's not until Gandalf rocks up that he manages to hold the you know hold the line until um, until Theoden arrives at the Pelennor, uh-huh. and it really gives him a chance. And then you know Aragorn claims the throne, and they really go for it like they did back in the day. Whereas you know Elendil and Isildur uh, and Anarion led the the conquest from um, from the fall of Numenor when yes. they arrived in Middle Earth, and they really pushed across and took the fight to Sauron because you know, they had a bone to pick with him, so to speak, because he was partly responsible for the destruction and the sinking of Numenor. So they pushed across Middle-earth and really took the fight to them. You know, they had this massive army that arrived on the ships 
And like I said, you know, they're big, strong men. They were far, far bigger and stronger than the, the orcs uh, at the time. So they were, you know, a real formidable force, especially when they you know, met up with uh, Gilgalad and, and Elrond when they were at the height of their power. So yeah, that's what they really struck me. They still, they still struck to me these t- today. So yeah, they're my main army that I use these days. Um, and then with work, uh, I sort of, you know, had the, I was dabbling in the game, not really seriously though, until maybe the age of 23, 24, moved up north with work. Uh, and I put out on the GBHL group, you know, um, that I'd recently become a part of. Anyone up north plays the game, uh, North Yorkshire, uh, and world champion, um, Got in contact via uh, Facebook, who mm-hmm. he's, cur- he's currently the league champion, said, yep, yeah, uh, we've got a gaming group in Ripon, you're more than welcome to come along. So I went along, met him, met another couple of lads up there, Nathan Ward, who are really good guys, really good players. Uh, and obviously they were talking about going to uh, the redesolation of Stockport in, uh, so I think it was September time of 2015. And obviously at the time, the desolation of Stockport was... Some of the bigger, we're running the biggest events of the year. And as I went to my first event, I got, you know, totally swept up in the whole competitive side of things. Yeah. Uh, and I went along, uh, and I think it was one of me and my younger brother, uh, and a couple of other guys went along, and we were like one or two, it was, you know, 90 odd players in a tournament, all packed into Element Games. <laughs> and it was my first real taste of you know, the competitive tournament scene, and absolutely loved it. Um, I won the first two games. Went the highest I think I've ever been to a competitive tournament and then found myself on table six against uh, a gentleman called James Long. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with but anyone who's listening who's from the GBHL tournament scene will know that he's uh, back around in sort of 2015, 2016. Still is now, here, but he's a formidable opponent and he really opened my eyes to how, uh, to how to play a game and he schooled me quite comfortably and I scuttled on my way back down to the, to the bottom <laughs> tables where I've, uh, where I've lived ever since. So, yeah, I played uh, quite quite... Not seriously on the tournament scene, but I went to as many as I could. I probably did about six or seven over the next year or so. And that's where I met a lot of the guys uh, on the scene in the minute. You know, Steve Crow, who I've been back and socialised at Manchester a few times, just sort of in my own spare time. You know, I met the likes of um, James Clark, Thomas Harrison, mm-hmm. uh, Damien O'Byrne, you know, all the sort of, all the familiar faces uh, in the GBHL Um you know, that, that are on the scene at the minute. So I got swept up in that. Uh, and the further I've gone along into the game, I played sort of a year or two. And then, as you'll understand, you know, family happened. We had, me and my wife had kids. So I've just sort of mellowed out a little bit and I'll play more. I don't compete ever, really. I only tend to go to now our um, our local ones in, in Cheltenham. And maybe I've been up to Bista a couple of times yeah, yeah. Uh, where Mark Kempster runs some really good events up there. Uh, I've been up to there a couple of times and I tend to now whereas when I was up in North Yorkshire obviously with a really you know one of the best players in the country world champion he was sort of you know tutoring me and advising me and uh, on how to build these competitive relatively themey but competitive how to optimise a themey list uh, you know to, to, to really make the most out of it and I was playing you know the same sort of army in the build up to the first tournament I played the same army the same points match the same points value in the same army for about three months straight yeah. so I knew it inside and out um, and that is, if you're going to pay, be a competitive player. For me, that's the, that is the way to do it. You take a you know a list or a points value, you vary variant it around that sort of. So you can take a, so for example, um, like an Isengard list, for example, you can take it at 350 points, 500, 600, 750, 800. Yeah. The same basic variant, you can add and subtract 
models as per, but you can take the same, the same. You got your core, the same you list. Kind of, and as yeah. soon as you change your points level, you're thinking that right, that means I can slot this in now, or that comes out because I need yeah. to do this. Kind of, of thing. course, you know when you when you hit sort of 750 points, it's when you you know your Saramander like auto includes that mm. sort of thing, you know. Uh, and this was all before you know the current variation where you could have there was no such thing as red alliances or you know heroes of legend and 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 all the sort of things now that have really balanced the game out you know this is the the era when you had shades and you know you had a, a, a the common meta at the time was you know a moran and orc army with a shade and then you'd have two fell beasts where you'd have the undying and the shadow lord and their abilities weren't to spend a point of will they just happened they were all you know they were active abilities <laughs> yeah. they just happened so the shadow lord always had his his pool of darkness where he had six inches we had you know six inches you know blinding light effectively uh for six inches all around which obviously on a, on a fell beast base the big 60 mil base yeah. six inches either side you know you're looking at sort of 15 inches of covering you'd have the whole army of of uh of moranans in you'd have then a shade and you'd have like kardush for example at the back chucking fury up to make everything fury and that was the days when channel fury got you on a five plus you have a fury saving a five plus rather than just six so, you know, when you were eventually wounding, if you were winning the fight, which was very rare because you had a shade there giving you minus one yeah. to the dice, if you were winning the fight, if you were killing, then they were saving it on a five plus, which nullifies a lot of it. So that was the sort of, you know, that, that yeah. sort of, there were a lot of fell beasts around and Ed Ball was, uh, was rightly so running rampant with, the, um, with his all-mounted Wraithless because he'd been playing them for about 10 years at that point. And he's one of the one of the best players in the game I've ever met. The way he dissects an army, you know, he's he's right up there with you know Will and and uh, Jay Clare. I mean, around that time, they that was when they they dominated the league for about four or five years, where it was either Jay or Ed that won the league, and it always came down to to the you know to the last few tournaments to see who would win it. So um, yeah, it was it was competitive in those days for for me, uh, but now I play a lot more. In this in this variation of the game, I play a lot of green armies. I don't tend to ally. I just tend to do theme and fluff and a few beers down yeah. the bottom end, down the bottom tables where all the fun's at. I'm, I, I find trying to game competitively now far too stressful, and I'm just not interested anymore. And honestly, I, I quite enjoy just having a having a good laugh, meeting some people, and, and rolling. In my case, rolling poor dice all weekend. So. <laughs> I I it really interests me. Um... It has for a lot of game systems following the competitive scene, but never really been being close to it. I just feel like you need to, like you like you've alluded to, is that you do it when you're when you're younger and you don't have a family and you you know that you can pretty much go to as many weekends away as you as you need to to kind of be good at it. I feel it's uh, there's there's people have a period in their life when they can go away and really focus on that, and I'm well yeah. away from that now and um, so it, it is interesting how when i you know, even five years ago some sort of 2015 when i first got into the competitive scene you know how many people that were on the competitive scene that were going to all the events yeah. and now are in the same position that i'm in you know married couple of kids or you know careers taken off and they can't get to where they need to yeah, uh, you yeah. know where they want to be as much and now when they do take in a, go to an event when they can make an event they make the most of it. They'll take an army that they want to play rather than trying desperately to win it. I mean, look at, you know, Damien O'Byrne, for example. Um, well, in 2015, he was, you know, uh, he podiumed, came like third, third, third a couple of years uh, in the Great British Hobbit League, taking his renowned, as he called it, Faroka, Feral Berserker uh, list with Saruman. And he'd run that from sort of 500 points all the way up to 750. Classically, in the fir that first event, 
first person I ever uh, knew at the time to take Smaugon head to head and win in a in a scenario uh, and kill the kill the dragon outright. Uh, <laughs> brilliantly at the time, using stun to stun using Saruman to poke the dragon in the face, poke Smaug in the face with his uh, with his staff, poke him in the eye and stun him. While the 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 berserkers, you know, sort of two handed, uh, faint and everything, to, you know, fainted where it could, etc. To uh, stun him and eventually killed him outright. So you know, and now he uh, has famously won, um, you know, Throne of Skulls two years on the bounce through just taking a fluffy army that he really enjoys. Yeah. You know, taking you know, and he dresses up for it every year the last couple of years. Goes there to have fun. He's yeah. a very good player. I've played him myself at Throne of Skulls in 2016. Very good player. Uh, and as a result of Tim just being a general nice guy and being a good gamer, even though he's taken non-competitive armies, really took Army of the Dead, uh, which, you know, when you look at the profiles and the rules, you think, yeah, it's pretty good, but limited numbers, lack of movement, being only the cav and the small amount of might, not overly competitive unless you ally Aragorn in, yeah. which he did for fluff reasons, managed to win the event because he's a nice guy and he's a good player, won all of his games. Uh, and I think... This year, just gone. He took Thorin's company, the Forge, the Forge World, Thorin's company, and made a beautiful um, bag end diorama. Yeah, incredible. Uh, and beautiful. you know, won uh, won it for the second year. I think he's one of the only guys ever to retain the Throne of Skulls title, which is is, is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, record. So yeah. yeah, I'm now at that stage where I'll go to an event and I'm going to have fun. I'll take a fluffy army that I want to take. That's not in my mind, optimised or particularly competitive, I'll take it just because I fancy taking it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think um, I will be not winning, but similar mindset to Damien, can't do as much stuff, so I'm going to put a lot of effort into one or two big events, so maybe paint a new army or you know build a display yeah. board, that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely. So what's your, what's your favourite aspect of the hobby? Oh, it's a difficult one. I see. I, for me, the type of person I am, I tend to get very. Um, if I get excited about something, I'll get excited about it and fixate on it, and that alone. So, if a new model comes out that I'm excited about, I'll try and build something around that. You know, if, like the contrast paints when they first came out. I thought because I'm not a, I'm not a painter in any way, shape, or form. I'm very much a dip it in the pot, slap a wash on, tabletop standard done kind of guy. I can't spend hours like you guys seem to do with highlights and painting eyes and you know <laughs> two thin coats is not my style it's you know dunk it in the pot slap a wash on it's done happy days so painting like, to be honest i find generally i find to be a bit of a nause in honesty yeah, yeah. um the way i motivate myself to paint stuff is i have to set like a target so if i'm if i want to take something for to a specific event and i need it to paint it i'll paint it for that yeah but if not i tend to really i tend to just sort of look in my yeah, my little shelf unit. I've got all the draw, all of my drawers full of models in, and I'll just sort of open it and go, "Well, what takes my fancy? What's primed? You know, you know, already primed. And got a base. It's got bases. Uh, you know, sand and grit already on that. I don't have to do that because I find that unbelievably boring as well. And I'm one of these mentalists that hand primes everything. I've only yeah. literally last week just bought my first ever spray can to prime with. <laughs> don't ask me why. I just find it, I find it therapeutic. But I, for some reason, I just always thought to myself, hand priming is the way to go. Uh, so I used to hand prime everything, you know, like I've got a, a Moria army of like 60 goblins and I hand primed every single one black. No wonder, because, no wonder you don't like painting. If you're because I'm mental. I'm, 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 also, I'm always like, I always look at painting and whenever I look at a model and finish with it, I always look at it and think, yeah, that looks rubbish. And then even if it's, you know, to a fine tabletop standard, I'm always, 
I always want to push myself forward. I'm never satisfied with what I've achieved. I always want to go to the next to the next level. Yeah, but yeah. then I don't have the patience to go to that next level. I don't have the patience to highlight. I don't have the you know the drive to to make it that tabletop you know, the, you know, the next level from tabletop standard. But then I get annoyed with myself because it's not the next level. If that makes sense. Totally. Totally. So yeah. So did you, the did best you try contrast like is... in the end? Sorry, I just interrupted you a little bit. Did you you mentioned no, contrast? Did you try it? You, did you pick up the any? contrast? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't as of yet. So obviously, when I got back from abroad, I spent you know a good week or so uh, trying to you know get used to two children again because you know <laughs> I spent sort of eight months without, well, ten months really uh, without them, uh, and they were wearing me out. My son decided that half past five was a good time in the morning to get up. Uh, so for about two weeks, whilst I was in quarantine, and that really wiped me out. You know, I was having to have a nap with him during the day sort of thing. Yep. I'm not, as you would call it, parenting match fit. You know, I left a, I left a one and a half year old and I've come back to a two and a half year old that's got, it's at that stage where he likes running around with his head down and catching, uh, <laughs> catching gentlemen in the, in the crown jewels, so to speak. So yeah, he's, he's, he's an absolute handful. My eldest is, is okay. She's still full of energy, but she's got a right attitude on her now. She's like four going on 14. So um, like I said, I, I'm finding hobby time at the minute. I get to the evenings. I'm so knackered from the day. I haven't really, you know, I don't really, I'm not keen to, to get too stuck into stuff. So, um, but at the minute I did have a, a weekend where whilst we're still in quarantine, the, the, the wife and the kids went around the in-laws. They'd already prearranged to do something anyway, because obviously my return date from abroad was up in the air due to the apocalypse. So um, I had a weekend to myself with the dog. Um, so I just sat down and thought, right, what can I crack on with? And I had a plastic fellowship sat about. So I thought, well, might as well. I cracked on with that. I started to build a, a Barlin's tomb board because uh, Zorp Zorp Gaming did a live stream and he was yes, like, right, yeah. I'm going to speed build Barlin's tomb. And I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I'm going to go down to my garage and see what I've got. And I had a, my dad had cut me out about a year or two before for two by two, uh, two foot by two foot sheets of uh, ply. I had some thin, I think like five, 10 mil, uh, polystyrene expanded polystyrene that my wife had obviously got from various parcels over the year while i was away some sheets put up so i thought right that'll do bang that on i had some really thick packing cardboard you know we're talking like inch and a half thick yeah yeah stuff yeah. yeah so i thought right that'll do for edges so i spent uh over the last week or so i spent with my my daughter in the afternoons because it's been so hot obviously down in my garage but i've got a three-story house so my garage is i've got a double garage which is like the entire bottom floor yeah, uh, and it's really cool down there. So I've taken her down there, and we've um, she's helped me. Um, she's helped me, uh, you know, put it all together basically with a lot of PVA glue and, and some filler, and and we've just sort of given it a rough bash. It's not the best looking thing in the world, and I'll probably make a better one in the future with some proper, you know, um, uh, what do you want to call it? You know, the proper uh, foam. The XPS, you know, like the, the yeah, the XPS. That's the one. Yeah, the expanded polystyrene foam, the proper stuff. You know, Celatex sort of stuff, stuff, stuff. The um, insulation foam. Uh, and I'll do it again properly in it. You know, in the future. Um, but it's sort of watching your, you know, actually hearing you, you guys talk about, you know, your um, your foray into Helms Deep and yeah, uh, catching up with your stuff that you've done on uh, on your, you know, on, the, on your little channel you started for, you know, to show people what you're working on really sort of made me go right and I'm just going to crack on with you know I'm going to make something I can game on and it's something that my kids can get involved in you know my daughter's already shown interest in wanting to play on it with me I'm trying to I'm trying to convince the wife to, to have a go <laughs> just to roll some dice I think I feel like it's a lost you know, the war's lost before I've even started but um, there's, there's but no point know. if they don't really want to because it just well you never a... you never know I mean there is uh, <laughs> as of 
so time of recording, what we uh thirteenth of August we've got as a as a gaming day, an open another open day at um Income Gaming. Yes. Uh on the fifteenth, I wanna say. Yeah, tomorrow's fourteenth, yeah, fifteenth, fifteenth of August. Uh, obviously playing with um strict restrictions and masks, etc. Uh, but we're we're having a gaming day down there. There's about eight of us going down. Uh, and I was planning to take the board, uh, but unfortunately, um, with the kids and the dog and coming over for like a week or so, we're coming over, we tied it in with a big visit. I wasn't able to fit it in yeah. the car. Um, but the wife has actually requested to come along with me. So she's coming. She's coming. And I've managed nice. to even convince her to roll some dice for me. So you never know. Is that just because she gets to leave the kids at home with the grandparents? Is that... Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> she turned around to me and said, will Incom be serving alcohol? And I said, yes, they will. And she was like, I'm coming to them. So I think she's, I she's think basically coming to meet excuse. Kate and drink. Uh, and she's going to roll some dice for me. As long as she said, do I have to like actually get involved or can I just roll dice for you? And I was like, no, I'll give you the dice. You roll them. So <laughs> that's, she seems quite happy. No, it's good to hear. I think I interrupted you as well, asking about contrast paints, just as you were building up to the crescendo of what was your favourite aspect of the hobby. So, uh... Oh, that's fine, but yeah. Well, favourite aspect of the hobby for me is I get excited when new models come out, and yeah. then I like building them, and then I procrastinate for about six months getting any paint on it because I hate it, and then I really enjoy getting on the table. But I'm, you know, I fantasise for, for days at a time about getting these armies built. So at the minute, I'm currently, I've got a helm hammer hands yes. now i've i'm not a fan of rohan i don't mean in terms of a fan i've just never they've never appealed to me yeah They're great in the films you know charge of death and all that good jazz fantastic i get goosebumps every time every time they scream death and charge down the pleno it's one of the best moments of this of the of all six films hands down but the the rules i get you know i get excited for the models for everyone, for everyone else uh they look cool uh but sort of the third ends uh, Legendary Legion doesn't appeal to me. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. Then Helm Hammerhand came out. One, it's a cool model, and two, his profile is a boss. Yeah. So for me, I, and I like using armies that aren't used very often. Hence why I like the Numenor. It's not a particularly popular army. Yeah. Uh, and if I had got off my backside before they were rotated out of production, I would have got myself a Farharad, you know, Mahud army. Um, I've also been fantasizing about one of those for years, but never got around to buying it, and they, they took it out of production uh, for now. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, I enjoy my aspect. Uh, my favourite part of the hobby uh, is is buying new models or getting excited about the new models that come out, and then list building around them. Yeah. So Helm, for example, I sat the other night with um, Dewey, who obviously has, has been on the show. Yeah. Um, and I speak to him quite often, uh, quite a lot. Uh, him and Dave Clubley, and we talk about you know we we just bounce lists off each other or rules queries or etc. Well, I bounce them off him for hours at a time. So. Oh yeah, three fifty. We built. I chucked a couple of variations of of Helm Helm's list, Helm's Legendary Legion, Helm's Guard, whatever you want to call it. Off them at three hundred and fifty points, five hundred, seven hundred, etc. Uh, just to to get my head around where I want to go and what kind of models I want. You know, my next purchases, so to speak. And uh, considering I back from, I got back from abroad having purchased uh, Helm. Uh, whilst he was out, because obviously didn't know how long he was going to be out for. He was going to be a limited release. I managed to convince the wife to just let me, uh, let me get it, <laughs> let me, let me get it on the credit card, uh, kind of thing. Uh, and I was given strict instructions not to buy any more models until I'd painted some. I spent a furious weekend with the dog painting with the fellowship and various of the models. I've on the quiet now, hit eBay to find myself some riders of Rohan and some Rohan warriors to start building myself my uh, my Helm's guard, my Helm's guard Legendary Legion. 
so yeah, that's my favourite aspect is is building the theory, theory, you know, theory bashing the lists together to what would work, what wouldn't work, what fits the theme and the fluff best, and then if I wanted to, what would be the optimal list and why. Uh, so yeah, that's my favourite part. That's your current project as well. I'm guessing you. I mean, because I remember you messaging me when 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 he came out. I remember you messaging me. Oh, yeah, a brilliant idea for a list. Is that? Is... You say, yeah. See. You say that current project, like I said, it flicks. I'm, I'm very much, I get sidetracked. So if I get halfway through something and then yeah. something else pops up, I'll be like, ooh, piece of candy, and I'll go towards something else. So at the minute, I'm currently midway through repainting my new menorah armor because the last time I painted them when I was like 20. So I'm now currently in a repaint because luckily my painting, my basic painting skill has improved so I can t- at least tidy the models up. Uh, and I never really, when I was younger, I didn't use washes or anything like that. I just used to put a base coat on and that would be it. So I've, I'm currently in a repaint of my Numenor. I've got 600 point list painted, but I've probably still got another 100 or so points. I've got to do a, a captain conversion. I've got to do a banner conversion. I've got planned out. Um, and I've got a captain conversion involving uh, the Isildur um, on the floor, holding the holding yes. Narsil up. Obviously, yes, you know, yes, the yes. scene where Sauron's leaning into for some random reason, the film where he just leans in to grab him, uh, <laughs> and which gives you sort of the opportunity to cut, his, to cut, his, uh, to cut the ring off his finger. Uh, I've got that model, which I'm going to hack to death with uh, a, well, I'm planning to with a um, Prince Imrahil mounted and the head from, the head and arms from a um, Faramir, armoured Faramir. Oh, uh, yes. To create myself a captain. I'm, I basically, I've, I've nicked it off. There was a, a, a gentleman on the GBHL Facebook group who put one up a year or so ago, an absolute glorious conversion. And I thought, I'm having that. I'm going to I'm gonna have a go at bodging one together. Um, no doubt in the next few years, when they eventually get round to doing the last alliance, they'll bring one out and I'll probably get it then. But for now, I need to. I've put off having a, a, new, a captain of Numenor in my list long enough, just purely because I haven't converted one. Uh, so, because uh, I don't have much skill with green stuff or saws, I usually end up cutting my own fingers. It's hard when you have to use models, models so, as well. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, but I, like I say I bounce around a lot. So I've currently got that on the go. I've now forced myself to repaint my Kazadoom army, uh, my dwarves, because I've now I've now run in the new, well, the current edition Kazadoom a couple of times and not lost with them yet. But I've only played three games with them, so you know I'm on three for three. That I use exclusively now, uh, Durin and the Warband of Hearthguard, and my auto includes with the banner, and then whatever the points allows after that, I'll go for it. I used to run Barlin all the time under the old rules, but now he's got a lot more expensive, and he's right. not quite as good as he used to be. He doesn't do what I need him to do, basically. Um, 115 points for a Hero of Legend from 20, I have two attacks. Yeah. Uh, kind of bites, bites me a little bit. Um, so, Durin for me, with that, you know. Strength four plus one, auto plus one, burly effectively with his master forged axe, three attacks, three wounds, defense nine, causes terror, war horn, yeah. all the goodness that comes with it. it seems you know, like threes, he's... All the, he's got all the threes with some extra, some extra juicy stuff blown in, and I really like the model. So I'm now currently in, uh, in the process of repainting all of my uh, 18 Kazard, well, I've got 20 odd Kazard Guard from back in the day where I just bought tons of blisters. So I'm now uh, currently in the process of repainting those guys as well. Smashed out of fellowship. Currently painting some Moria goblins to, so I can do the Barlin's tomb yes, scenario. Because yeah. uh, I've never played it. I've never played any fellowship scenarios. I've, I've owned two fellowships for years. 
Yeah. Uh, the plastic one and the original metal fellowship. I luckily got that a few years ago off a, I got it donated to me off uh, from a nice gentleman on the uh, power powers Walkman. I think it was mm-hmm. a few years ago. Must've been about 2016 Christmas time. He ran a uh, silly competition where if you could sing a song from the Lord of the Rings films, <laughs> uh, he would, the prize would be trying to get everyone involved in the community. The prize would be to, um, to have an original metal fellowship new in box. Wow. So I, uh, I very hung over on Boxing Day. Nick to, took a guitar upstairs, hid away from my missus for ten minutes, drunkenly recorded my <laughs> version and, and posted it to the group, and actually got enough votes because it was up for a public poll. I actually, uh, I actually managed to sneak it from Damien O'Byrne, and uh, I've still got it sat in the bottom of a, a box somewhere. I haven't touched it since because I really want to do it some justice. Uh, and I just haven't got the time or the enthusiasm as it stands to yeah. get around to it because I know I'm not going to do it the justice. But I've now got the plastic fellowship done. Uh, I'm cracking through some cave trolls as well. So I've got an Angmar army as I managed to sneak a uh, uh, a witch king, a broken witch king, a mislabeled witch king of Angmar, saw, the original unarmored version on horse. Uh, he'd lost his sword, and I managed to. Uh, it was mislabeled on eBay, and I managed to steal him for about six. Six pounds in the end, without two pounds. Such a postage and packaging. Such a uh, and I had a spare shadow lord who volunteered for a uh, an amputation hand swap. Yes. So I've, I've now got the sword's not quite the same. It's a single handed sword instead of his double handed, but it's, it's close. Enough, you know, it's close it? enough that you wouldn't know unless you own the model, unless you looked at it closely. It does the job. So I managed to get that done. Painted uh, that and the and the dismount. So I've started to build a, an Angmar an Angmar list as a result of the last tournament I played when Dewey, as I think he mentioned in, when he was on the show, when he actually slapped me with his Angmar army. <laughs> since then, I've been like, right, I'm getting me one of those. So, yeah, that's where I'm currently sat at the moment. I've got about six different projects on the on the go, and I keep chopping and changing in between each one. It's good to have. And with Quest of the Ringbow on the way, I think you might well find that fellowship uh, can, becomes quite useful. That was, that was the main the main motivation to get that done and I thought you know it's about time I've been I've been playing this game long enough now I should really have a painted fellowship I want to start doing some more of the to play as I said now I'm not really into competitive gaming anymore I want to start playing more of the scenarios yeah Um, and I think that anyone who has played this game for long enough should we should all have a painted fellowship of some sort uh, lined up so yeah <laughs> mine's, mine's sitting behind me, ready to go when I finish the stuff I need for the Helm's Deep game. So it's uh, otherwise I'd probably be doing them now. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited about that. I've got another. I managed to dig out another few uh, Urukai pikemen and shields that I think I'm gonna. I think I've got to find another ten somewhere spare awesome. Awesome. that need uh, that need a, a lick of a new lick of paint to match up my current army for that game. So. It should look pretty good when it's all lined up. So it's gonna we- look very good. Before we move on to the, the second half of the chat, which is sort of FAQ stuff, um, you've got a uh, a future project um, coming up that you're going to announce on the show. So, yes, so um, so obviously for years I've followed like the the GBHL podcast YouTube channel, uh, Steve Crow at Top Table Gaming, Steve Crow and, and Jay Finnegan and, and Ben uh, and all those guys and the various other YouTube channels, Dewey's, you know, Guardians of Wiltshire. All of those sorts of guys, uh, Andrew Cox doing his beer clippers and that. And I thought, you know, uh, you know, having spoken to yourself before you started the podcast, obviously, you know, you spoke to me before you guys actually started it. You were talking about it. Uh, and whilst I was away, I was listening to a lot of podcasts of the Green Dragon, uh, Entmoot and yourselves. I thought, you know, it's about time we, uh, I did something myself. It's not going to be, you know, the next GBHL podcast. It's just I'm going to rant, not rant, but I'm going to, you know, 
talking to a camera, pixelated camera for <laughs> five to 10 minutes just to let people know what I'm getting up to. And hopefully with my brother, we're going to film a few scenarios. Um, the main motivation for doing it is, uh, so a friend of uh, the Gloucestershire, sort of Gloucestershire group, if you like it, income. We had a friend of ours called Ian Baldwin, sadly passed away two years ago through a uh, through terminal uh, terminal illness. He uh, was absolutely obsessed with all things Lord of the Rings, loved the game, was a valued member of the community, uh, the GBHL community, the league community as a whole. Uh, and he had literally just before he found out he was ill, uh, had started a, a channel uh, and he'd uploaded sort of one, one video and I came across it uh, a few months ago. Uh, I was flicking through like, my old sort of subscriptions to see what I had still subscribed to on YouTube. As you know, I was bored with not much to do during lockdown. Uh, and I found it, and I found his video where he talked about he was working on a warband of, of Khazad Guard. Uh, and that sort of really spurred me to sort of, you know, write, I think we should, uh, you know, should try and pick up the, the channel for our sort of Gloucestershire gaming group where we left off. So I spoke to a couple of the guys and uh, within our community at Income Gaming. And yeah, they've agreed to, to get involved. So there's sort of, four or five of us that are going to pitch in as and when with hobby vlogs, you know, what we're up to. We've found, uh, he left a list of sort of different videos he'd, he'd like to do, you know, different heroes, different tiers of heroes. Effectively, he'd sort of tiered his own heroes up at that time, which ones he'd like to see scrapping off against each other. So I think for, you know, to kind of honor his memory, so to speak, we're going to, oh, we're going to give it a bash and, and see what we can do. Um, so yes, we've, uh, we've created a channel uh, and it's going to be called the wooden spoon warriors. Because as I, know, as I mentioned before, I don't, I don't, I never have since the first glorious two <laughs> games of my first ever event. I've, uh, I've always found myself down on the bottom tables, the fun end, as I like to call it, where everybody's either half drunk <laughs> or doesn't know the rules, and everyone's just enjoying themselves with really, really fluffy armies. So, because we always tend to find ourselves, especially in our gaming group, income, we always tend to find ourselves at the bottom tables or the competing <laughs> for the wooden spoon. We thought it apt to call ourselves the wooden spoon warriors. So I'll be up. The channel's made, uh, and we've just it's got no videos uploaded as of now, but in the next couple of days we're going to get a couple published, so if you want to see my face and me, like I said, talking into the camera for sort of 10 minutes while waving a few models about, um, by all means, go and, uh, and have a look. Well, I'm going to put the, um, the, I've got the link for the channel already. I'm going to put it in the, in the show notes for this episode, which may or may not be out before your first video goes up, but um, it should, can... it, it should be, it should be, um, we should get one up in the next couple of days just to talk about obviously what the channel is actually about, why we're doing it. And then I've already uh, filmed a couple of videos. Uh, my brother, Jack, who is the computer whiz is editing and making them look all fancy, et cetera, et cetera. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a complete technophobe. <laughs> I did wonder that when we were messaging about it earlier, I was thinking you're not doing this on your own, are you? <laughs> no, no, I am not doing it by myself. I'm not doing it by myself at all. <laughs> it's going to be, I'm looking forward to it though. It's good. It's going to be really good to see. So, and even if um, you haven't got your first video up by the time the show goes out, people can obviously click the link and subscribe ready. And I'm sure that when, sorry. when you, sorry, that's my phone talking to us. If you pick that up on the microphone, um, when the, um, when when you uh, start putting some videos up, you'll also be sharing them in GBHL, and you can stick them in our group and things as well. So uh, people yeah. know that you're you're up and about. Yeah, of course. Right then. So 
Let's let's talk FAQ. Um, we thought that yes. it sort of ties in ties in nicely having you on the show and the FAQs drop it gives us something nice to talk about. Um, and it's it's there's there's not been too many changes this time round, so it's not like it's going to be a sort of a two or three hour whopper when we've got to debate in great detail because because uh, um, there's not too much to cover, which is nice. Uh, so what I thought we'd do is we'd. Um, We'd, we'd just cover the stuff that's in magenta. We won't be going anything mm. anything else. Otherwise, it'd be ridiculously long and people will be falling asleep. Um, so I'll read them out and then we can just have a little bit of a chat. A lot of the, a lot of the things might be very kind of common sense-ish. But let's start with the Armies of the Lord of the Rings um, official errata. And that contains on that first page the two big talking points probably of, of the whole uh, new FAQ this, this August. So the first one is gambling. So page 64 of the Armies of the Lord of the Rings book. Gambling, Royal Standard of Rohan. Change the second sentence to read. Additionally, a single Rohan hero model within three inches of the Royal Standard of Rohan at the start of the turn that is no might remaining may automatically add one point of might to their store. So, um, so the, the 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 previous rule um, was it was it was any number of uh, Rohan heroes, wasn't it? It was glorious. <laughs> the previous rule. So this really made gambling, in my in my opinion, having I said played sort of competitively for a couple of years, you'd see. The, the, a few players out there would still support Rohan before they got really good, such as like James Clark, for example. You'd see the odd uh, gambling with Banner. Uh, a lot of people used to think that the, the, the Royal Standard, uh, under its previous um, variation in the rules, was rather expensive for what it could do. Uh, and obviously, once this version came out, along with the, the Palenor starter set, Ro, uh, Rohan uh, got so many buffs, uh, which you know it did, it did deserve. And this made gambling all of a sudden became an absolute auto-include. And so many people were cursing about having to freehand a horse onto that banner. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- this was phenomenal. You'd have all mounted, uh, all all hero Rohan armies suddenly started flooding onto the scene. And you'd have, you know, four four heroes per turn gaining might back. There's, there was a, uh, an episode of uh, On the Green Dragon podcast where... I can't remember the gentleman's name, but one of the one of the hosts went through an event and he tallied up how much might uh, he'd spent over the over like a five game tournament, and we were well into three <laughs> figures by the end of it, Jeez. just through five or six heroes. So yeah, for we think about it, it's a raw standard of Rohan. It gives the same rules as a banner, so you're looking at twenty five points for the banner then. So for twenty five points to get effectively unlimited might per turn, as it used to be, it was just phenomenal. Isn't it regarded as a, like a point of might's worth about five points? What is that? It's in my, yeah, in my head from yeah. somewhere. Uh, it's, usually, it's usually costed about five points. So like a, a single point of might will of fate or a heroic statistic is usually worked out. It costed about five points. If you want to know the full ins and outs of it, Thomas Harrison did a really good um, analysis of overcosted and undercosted heroes in one of the first editions of the SBG magazine. Yes, yes, uh, we discussed And he goes into really good detail in an article about how um, how models or how profiles are roughly costed and how you can sort of work it out. So for heroes and for heroic stats, yeah, about five points is about the average. So, yeah. So technically, if you get to give five points of might out, you've paid, it's it's covered its cost at 50 points. Oh, yeah, and it's doing it's doing that. when Once you're sort of past the first few turns of movement, you know, you can steam through, especially with Gambling having heroic march, and he's going to be mounted, you know, you can steam through heroic march and calling heroic moves easily with just gambling on his own in the first you know 
yeah. two turns and he's getting his own mic back. Never mind. You've got the extras at the time. I think with Dernhelm, you were getting a point of mic back a piece for Dernhelm and for Merry. Yeah. And then you'd have your AMR as well, who is, you know, your combat tank uh, blasting through might. And you could really set up a really good sort of chain. Positioning and gambling, you know, became absolutely key to make sure you were making the biggest impact possible. But you'd have no dramas where before you were sort of, you know, especially for Rohan, you have to be really careful how you spend your might when you're using it for heroic moves, especially for an all-mounted force when you hit, when you, you know, hitting against the run of priority. So for an all-mounted force, you want to keep back and charge when you lose priority. Yeah. So you're not going to risk getting countercharged. And then a turn afterward is when you, you know, you're then probably going to have to to use your heroic moves because you then want to move first. If you lose priority, you have to call your heroic moves. You just have to be really conservative with your might and how you spent it. Whereas, whereas now or before the FAQ with gambling, if you positioned it right, you didn't really have to worry because you, you know you were going to be getting um, not only your banner rerolls, but you were going to get your points of might back as well. So here is where we just sort of frugally spend it, as you will. So really, really good, um, really good change there, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of people on the uh, on the Facebook groups of you know. There's been a mass hysteria on both sides of uh, yeah, the death of gambling, bad, as some people but, uh, call, and you're know, yeah. saying you won't see him again, but still get a single point of might back uh, per hero per turn is brilliant. For 25 points, you're effectively getting mighty hero that can go on to anybody. Yeah, I, so As someone who's painting Rohan now and has him there, um, nothing about the chains makes me think, well, I don't, don't want him anymore. It still seems pretty good to me yes i've i've come up come up against it as well quite a few times including very hero centric rohan list where he's making good use of the well the previous pre errata um rules as well yeah. so i could definitely feel like there would be some games when you feel like they would get you know the, the the rohan play would be getting an awful lot for that 50 points where other times they may not i think the only arguments i've seen is that some people have said well maybe he should have had a, the banner should have a slight points reduction but i'm i'm in my limited experience of well, I haven't used him, I've only faced him, it seems like a, a fair enough um, change to me and he wouldn't put me off having him in my in my army at all. Yeah, I mean, in most games, at sort of 600 points, you're going to be doing five turns of combat. Yeah. Really. I mean, gone are the days where you used to be able to skirmish a lot with Rohan. Now, obviously, if you're, you're taking gambling in Theoden's Legion, obviously with his, you know, plus one to fight value on the charge, plus one to strength within six, I think it is. I haven't yeah. played Legion, so I'm not, you know, completely afraid with the rules, but that's just so strong that you will be, you know, you will be getting into combat quickly uh, to make the most of those charges. Um, you're going to be, you have plenty of turns of combat to, to pay off the, the value of the banner. So I, I don't think it needs a points reduction as it stands for me, because of the way I value it, it's 25 points for a banner, 25 points for your, you know, for your extra, um, you might back per turn. And you can use it earlier in game as well, not because surely you might be using it early turns for for to replenish might that you've used for March or something, which you may not have done as well. So it's not just the combat yeah, exactly. rounds. So you can get, yeah, and you know, gambling's got a half decent profile, fifty five points. You know, yeah. he's got expert rider, horse lord, swarm protector, he's passing all those courage. He's got tests. three might himself, um, hasn't he? So yeah, yeah, and he's got heroic defense, so it's not like he's going to die mm-hmm. anytime soon. So yeah. Yeah, defense six, and then he's, well, he's mounted as well. So yeah, he's not, yeah he's pretty survivable, isn't he? Or survivable as yeah, anything definitely. can be. In the game. And, and he should really, uh, with a banner, be sitting behind the lines. Yeah, really. Yes, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's one of the easier positions for to take, isn't it? Is is I often find 
I get myself stuck where I do have heroes behind the lines and I forget to leave myself the gap to move them forward when you need them. With him, you, really, yeah. you don't want him doing that. You want him staying behind the no. line, which is actually you want him, Yeah, you want him sat back. And with the back, with the you know the horse as well, he's going to be mounted. It gives you that extra you know four inches of movement to be able to to move the. He's one of the last models you want to be moving on your priority on your movement. So that you can place him where he's needed if he needs to get behind, you know, AMR because he's about to do his heroic combat or, you know, needs to get behind his third and for the banner reroll to then give him the point of might for the next turn for the move or whatever. You know, you can do that because he's still got that 10 inch movement on the horse. Yeah, so, oh, he's got a horse lord as well. So, yeah, so yeah, he really is. Yeah, so he's got that, that one point of fate that he's got. He can use it to, you know, to keep that horse alive if he needs to. Excellent, excellent. Now, I, I think it's a good change. I think it makes sense. And c- compared to what we saw for the last FAQ, I, I don't think there's been, there's, just people are always going to be a little bit disagree on certain changes, but I don't think it's been a major, a major kind of uh, uproar, really. Yeah. Um, so the next one, so the other big, big change, um, also on the first page of the um, Army's Lord of the Rings Arata, so page 178, demolition charges, detonating the charge at the following after the second sentence, a model may only attempt to detonate the charge if the resulting explosion would affect at least two enemy models or a single siege target, or enemy siege target, meaning there must be at least two enemy models within two inches of the charge to detonate it. So that's there basically to stop people blowing it up themselves mm-hmm. in order to kill themselves and, and, um, and end the game, essentially. I'm assuming that's what it's about. Yeah, there's various ways to do it. I think the, one of the main people I know within the community who has been using it to great and superb effect is Jasmine Tetley. Yeah. Um, she's a phenomenal player in her own right. I've not had the privilege of playing her at an event, but I've seen her play multiple times. I mean, she won the GT, for God's sake. She's a great player. And let's not you know beat about the bush. She's a really skillful player. She knows how to do it. She knows how to optimise a, a tournament army and how to take it. And uh, she really did sort of, I'm not sure if she was one of the first, but she's definitely one of the only people I know that's really, uh, you know, been using this to great effect. Um, and yeah, like you said, you can, I think bombs, de- demolition teams are one of the only ways really to to damage your own army, yeah. to, to kill your own model. So yeah, you could use it, as, as, like I said, very small multitude of running up to a big hero and splatting it, um, you know, uh, especially if you've got like a Titanic explosion, uh, and managed yes. to inflict two d6 wounds i mean even d6 is, is going to be difficult enough especially on most majority of most mid-tier heroes only got sort of two wounds two fate you know you, you bog standard captain two with one fate you, you're scoring d6 wounds you roll a a three plus and they're dead auto dead yeah. you know even a, a, a um, even a three wounds three fate hero you get that one lucky six on a d6 and that's it they're gone so getting two d6 everything within two inches especially if you're playing an all hero army you manage to clump it right in there and, and get a uh, get a titanic explosion and you're going to cause a lot of serious amount of damage um so yeah i think it's a it's 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 a good change um personally uh i also like the fact that it's like said now it's made it uh it's got to be enemy models before you can detonate because like i said it stops you killing your own models so to either break yourself or to quarter yourself uh to end the game because you're able to do that you know drop a a massive amount of uh, of casualties to make yourself broken. Yeah. Uh, if you're winning on VPs, that breaking or quarter VPs doesn't. It's not going to. You know, if you've scored the main objective, it's not going to hurt yourself. I'm not sure whether in like Lords of Battle, for example, it would uh, it would give you 
you give your, your opponent VPs by doing that, but I'd imagine it would have been if that if it doesn't give VPs to your opponent for your own models dying because they didn't kill them, uh, I'd imagine that would be handy as well. So if you're playing like an Isengard list, say if you're playing at something like, I don't know, 800 points and you're coming up against four or five really big, heavy hitting, chunky heroes at 150 odd points a piece, if you've got a you know, 40, 50 model Isengard army to try and reduce it, if you've got a couple of bombs which you will have at that sort of points level, first turn, if you drop a couple of detonations and really, you know, hitting your own army, you're limiting the amount of VPs they can score against you. Yes, that's true. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the case. I haven't really looked into it that much. Um, but, it, you know, it, I imagine that's, you know, basically what it's designed, what it's designed for. Yeah. In my eyes, it's not really going to affect anything too much because uh, I know a lot of people have been kicking off online saying, well, now, you know, one big hero can charge the team by itself and without any fear of getting blown up. But if you're going to be running, you know, Isengard, you're going to have, uh, in, in the Legends of Legion, you're going to have the, the Assault Ballista in there purely because of it gets its rerolls to hit and scatter, etc. So it's good. That's what it's going to be aiming at. You know, it's got such a big range and no minimum range either that it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's going to be hitting hard. If you've got an engineer captain at a higher points level, you're going to be using the might to hit that big hero. You know, if you've got your LSR or your Gandalf the Whites or whatever, you know, or your your, your fell beast, you're going to be using it to hit to hit those. So and you're going to have crossbows anyway, strength four crossbows. Hero, maybe better ways of dealing with it than sending the hero as well. Surely that hero can do better things elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. But that's the main thing you know. Players have been moaning about is what that I've seen on 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 the various Facebook pages that you know a hero now can a big hero can now charge into or you know not have no fear of getting yeah, shredded. Is. It can sort of loan itself like it can you know just disappear in, into yeah, the ranks I can see and, that, and do its actually. thing. I can see why that might feel a bit. It's, it's difficult because you've got a you've got a balance. This edition there's 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 clear motives to try and make sure that the game follows the law and the films and the books more as much as possible and you see that with the alliances yeah. and let's face it this thing was designed to blow up walls wasn't it it wasn't really yeah, for designed sure. to assassinate it's, it's there, it's there purely characters. for siege you know for siege and, and getting through um, walls and like I said walls and castle doors yeah. and keeps and all that so, sort so of naturally stuff good players will find reasons to use it for a, a game mechanics um, yeah, and which sure. is great perfect but those when they get spotted they will often get changed as well I suppose it's just a, yeah. a natural kind of a, a you know a knock on effect what about the um, the Smaug thing I saw someone talking about Smaug does he so not, as it stands as, target, as it stands Smaug is not a siege target <laughs> as of yet I reckon that so Smaug can't be hit but I've got a feeling that might get changed in the next day for a queue yeah it would make sense too, wouldn't it because you can you can still hit a mummock can still hit a, the bomb can still hit a mummock. It can do buildings, gates, and other large siege engines. But Smaug is not currently on that list. Be interesting to see some as far whether as anything aware. else gets added to that as well. Just yeah, just seen as a, but then, like a I big said, enough target got, that would make sense. If you if you're if you're Isengard and you're coming against Smaug, you're probably going and you're using the the Assault and Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. Um, you're going to have a ballista anyway, multiple yeah. ballista because they're only sixty five points. You could easily have two hundred and thirty. If you're playing Smaug, you're playing minimum seven hundred odd points. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have your ballistas. You're going to have your crossbows in there. You'll have Saruman for you know to try and immobilize or Sorcerer's Blast or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're gonna ha you're gonna have the things in there to be able to deal with it if you need to. And again, Smaug, he's one of those where everyone seems to think you know when he first came out, 700 points can do this much damage. But if you're playing something like Domination or Recon or whatever, there's ways to win the scenario without even getting anywhere near him. 
Yeah. So it can it can be done. I've I've seen it done, uh, and I've seen like I said, I've seen Damien Byrne take Smaug head on head on and beat him anyway. <laughs> so Smaug, as far as I, as far as I'm aware, hasn't won a tournament yet. No, so, I, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, imagine with those bigger ones, there are a good player with a decent army can beat anything. You know, nothing nothing is a, is an auto win when you put it on the table. So yeah, uh, I, I can't see it being too much of an issue to be honest. I imagine that model was always designed as much as you can play anything competitively. I imagine there are a few models in the range that are very much designed for completion and to be cool and to be there for narrative play rather than. Uh, yeah, you could be... you couldn't not have you know be producing models for a game that's got a big dragon in it and not that's center. That's the main one of the you know the main focal points of the of the of the three series of films, and you could not you know where they got Forge World, they could not go ah. Do you want us to do us a big? Do you want to do us a big red lizard? I'm pretty sure Forge World were already when that was discussed. <laughs> the image I bet the Forge World manager was stood with his hand like pointed to the ceiling, going "Me, me, me, me." We'll do. It. We've got that. <laughs> so you know, I can't see it not happening. It wasn't ever going to not happen, I suppose. Uh, and those were the only two bits of magenta from the the official errata for the Armies of Lord of the Rings. Um, if we look at mm-hmm. the Armies of Lord of the Rings designers commentary. Let's have a flick through. I think oh, we got there's a question. Legolas Green, this deadly shot special rule, states that he fires a single arrow and then he will always hit on a two plus and that it cannot be modified in any way. Can this be modified by Kreben's Cloud of Birds special rule? Answer, no. And again, that's just, doesn't. I don't really think there's much to discuss there. I think that's pretty it's just, straightforward. Yeah, it's just clearing it up. I think, you know, cannot be modified in any way. Yeah, it says it as it is. You know, yep. rules is written. Yeah, it still so, yeah. can't be modified in any way, even though there's this new thing. But it makes makes sense yeah. to ask the question. Um, and there's another one. So, if Gimli's son of Gloin is fielded as part of the same army as Legolas Greenleaf, Prince of Mirkwood, does Gimli still benefit from his "I myself am sitting on the forty-three special rule"? Um, no, is the answer. Obviously, that's the wrong incarnation of Legolas. So again, yes, seems like a- Legolas of sixty. Well, not even sixty. 77 years prior prior yeah they haven't they haven't made friends at that at that point no Gimli's <laughs> supposed to be a Gimli's supposed to be a wee lad but i believe he's about 125 at the time of the war of the ring so he would have been like 50 oh is that little joke maybe isn't 50 there when he's, yeah when he's, when he, he sees says the like picture. a wee lad Gimli but he would have been about 40 40 to 50 years old already anyway but yeah <laughs> Um, and the next one can models finish their move on top of a Moria goblin drum answer no but they may attempt to jump over it there you go yeah pretty straightforward and that's the next bit of magenta we got um, when a bomb is dropped, can it be dropped only touching one of the bomb carriers or must be must it be dropped touching both? And the answer is when a bomb is dropped, it must be placed touching both of the bomb carriers. The only exception is if one of the bomb carriers is slain, in which case the bomb is dropped touching the remaining bomb carrier as close to where the slain bomber was uh, what the slain bomber was there we go um again pretty straightforward stuff yeah that's to stop people trying to gain the extra inch because demolition charge can only be uh detonated once it's been dropped so if it was dropped you know they could you could place the the model uh as far forward as possible to give it a better range to detonate so that's probably what it's there for it's to stop people trying to sneak an extra inch from having it say one side where you want more models on the on the opposite side of one of the carriers to gain that extra sort of inch, you know, the base uh, base oh, width I of see. distance. I was wondering what who was asking that question, but that makes sense. Yeah, right? it just I shows that, that not being in the com- kind of competitive scene and seeing those things happening, you don't often think. think yeah, about that's, that's what I imagine. Like I said, I've not been on due to being abroad. I've not been on much of the social media or been involved in any tournaments. So that's what I'm going to be for. Uh-huh. So the next one is. 
Demolition charge again. Can a demolition charge be placed overlapping a model's base? Nope. Um, no. Again, that seems I've got logical. I've got a demolition charge. I mount it on a base myself because it's then straightforward as to where you've charged and yeah. you've got a line of sight and all that. Got a good job. I've got it on a twenty-five mil base. I to, wish to make some of those things had official base sizes. Um, and it's not just yeah. it's not just it's not just SPG. It's, it's it's a problem across a lot of games, virtual games, when they say, "Well, it should be on the the base supplied," and that changes over years and things like that. I, I think yeah, I think I an official just, base I size would be really chuck, good. Chuck anything on a base. Yeah. yeah, and honestly, like I've got, I think uh, uh, the only thing I haven't got at a minute is my Iron Guard assault ballista yeah. mounted on a base. But I've got my dwarf ballista. I've got it mounted on a twenty-five mil base just so people can charge it. Because there's no, yeah, uh, no one can get finicky about whether it's been charged or not. It has or has. My Iron Heels is on a base and it's magnetised. So if someone doesn't want it on the base and they want to, you know, they say, yeah. well, not, then I can just pop it, it off as well. In my mind, it makes it easier because then you can say, well, that you know, this crew member is in base contact. This one isn't. Agreed. Agreed. I, totally. I do it for the same thing. It makes sense to me. Certainly, totally. Um, okay. Next one. Does a six, um, does a single successful fate roll prevent all wounds suffered from the Isengard demolition charge, or just one, just one wound per successful fate roll? Again, that makes sense. Yeah, straightforward. Um, when a demolition charge detonates, you, do you measure from the centre of the charge or from the edges of the charge? Measure from the edges of the demolition charge. Again, you'll be, you'll be from the base on yours, I suppose. Yeah. But that, I you suppose always measure from the base. Yeah. Which is why I put everything on the base, especially for siege engines, because you can measure directly from the base. There's no dramas then. It's Sense. not up for discussion. Um, and then the last one. Um, um, how are models that cannot normally be directly affected by magical powers that will prevent them from moving, such as Smaug or a Mummock, uh, affected by special rules that would make them suffer the effects of the paralyzed magical power, but technically aren't magical powers such as Mirkwood Spider's web or Shalob's Court in the web brutal power. Answer, models that cannot be prevented from moving such as a Smaug or Mummock will be unaffected by special rules that make them suffer the effects of the paralysed magical power. So again, yeah, of course it is. It's something that already can't be stopped moving. I think I saw the example somewhere else and it might have been Steve on top table, but you know, why would... Why would a spider's web stop something the size of a mummock from moving? It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think a lot of these is um, just clarifications. Yes. You know, if it's not in the rules, then you could argue that, you know, if it's not in there to say that can be specifically done, that someone will argue that it can't be or uh, and vice versa. So I think it's just there to close off any, any potential loopholes. Yeah. But I imagine a lot of players are playing it as... You, you know, as the FAQ states anyway. Yeah, I, I I would imagine so. A lot of times it's common sense, isn't it? So armies yeah. of the Hobbit official errata, nothing new. Um, so there's nothing to cover there. So armies of the Hobbit designers commentary. I think there are a couple of things here. Um, mm. So um, what happens to Bard if either Sigrid or Tilda are killed by a siege engine? Answer, if Sigrid or Tilda is killed by an initial shot of a siege engine, then the siege veteran will be the target of Bard's rage um, for something to fight special rule. If Sigrid or Tilda is killed by the area effect or by another model being flung into them, such as with piercing shot, then no single model is the target of Bard's rage. Instead, treat the situation as if Bard has already slain the target rage. That's quite good, actually. That's something that would, uh, having played Survivors of Lake Town, it can get a little bit confusing with things like that. So that's that's a quite a useful clarification. I can't imagine it came up too often, but... 
Yeah, I was about to say I've never come across that having not owning those models and having not. I've played against them a couple of times, obviously yourself and a few other people, but I've never played them with a siege engine, so that's never come up for me either. But that doesn't make a lot. It's of sense. the kind of thing that you just never comes up, and then you'll be at an event one day, and then someone kills him. You're like, what happens now? And you're like, I don't know actually. Does he have to charge? Yeah. Does it not? <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah, good. it's one of it's it's one of those events where it'll, and hopefully it's one of those events where it's come up where Jay Claire is actually at the event himself because the TO's <laughs> probably gone, and then someone's gone, Jay. <laughs> I've, I've witnessed that a couple of times as well where the TO's gone oh I don't know Luckily. and someone's wandered over to Jay and gone uh, Jay how how would this play out and then he's given an answer and then funny enough that answer has appeared in an FAQ at some point which is perfect isn't so, it and, and yeah, I think exactly, the, which is exactly what you want yeah, the fact that he's on the scene so so you know so much it really really helps well, the quality of and the fact and the fact that he very much listens to the feedback of the players in the communities you know he's involved he, he's in a lot of various community groups, you know, and they're there. They're there. The GW have a presence, yeah. and they listen. You know, it's like when the the, the last FAQ came out, when it was the whole they tried to sort out the alliances and the and the you know, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the hero now. The elf hero was causing all the problems. Um, was it last ah! time was it Kurdan last time? I've got him. Um, I've got him, and I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember his name now. I'm, I bet everyone who's listening to this now is absolutely shouting the name at me. Uh, Kirdan. Kirdan. Got him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they tried to sort all that out. And when there was, uh, I don't want to say uproar, but when it was suggested in, especially the GBHL, where a slightly more common sense route could have been, you know, implemented within a couple of days, they'd gone, yeah, fair one, that's actually a better idea, and implemented it. So it does show. It was brilliant. And it, it also, with these FAQs, especially with this one, it shows how well and how balanced the game is already, that there's only... So well, few two, changes. Two main FAQs and the rest all director commentary. And uh, who knows? There could be an update in a couple of weeks' time, which um, suddenly states that Smile counts as a siege engine. It could be that. So it could be that. Yeah, <laughs> but like I said, there's only one or two. Uh, whether I'm sure I've heard from guys that also play sort of you know other games like 40k, they tend to have you know can sometimes have pages and pages and pages of yes. FAQs. Oh god, there is uh, to change stuff. So yeah, it's 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 good that we have a the team. You know, the Middle Earth team are really tuned into the to the community. Um, and and are really keen to to make it work. So you know, hats off to them for doing such a good job with this with this installation. You know, this sort of period of of, of the game. Absolutely. I'd actually want to mention this mug again. I'd actually argue that it doesn't need changing right away because so many so few people are going to be in that situation. And I imagine yeah. that most tos, if someone was taking smog, would would say, yeah, you can you, you it's, can blow him It's off. only going to happen when you know. <laughs> and if you're playing a friendly game, well, then you probably should be using. A yeah, bit of sense there. If bombs and smog are going to come up against each other, it's going to be you know, the, the odds of it actually happening is going to be so small. Um, and you know, if it happens, it happens. And uh, tos, you know, are want to impose their own rules anyway at events because that's the freedom they've got. They can yeah. do that. You know, I've been to events before where they've specified at 750 points but two heroes must equal at least 250 of those points yeah you know that sort of stuff or you know uh you know no red alliances all of that you know yeah tiers can do that because it's their events and if people don't want to play by those rules and they, they don't have to go to those events no. and there's plenty of people in this community you know you can fill up a tournament you know rapidly yes stuff will sell out within days so yeah, absolutely. Right then, the next one then. So in a, in a historical alliance between Azog's Legion and Azog's Hunters, 
if I choose Azog or Balg as my leader, but take them from the Azog's Hunters list, do they still gain Master of Battle as per the Azog's Legion Army bonus? Answer, no. They only get the Master of Battle if they're taken in Azog's Legion Army list. Um, yeah, makes sense to me. Um, well, it's... it's I, there's, there's, there's two schools of thought, isn't it? And the, the one argument is, well, they're the same characters. Why wouldn't they be good enough generals? Um, mm. That's yeah, I can understand that from a from a kind of from a, sort of a law point of view. But essentially, mm. the Azog's Legion has that rule, not Azog's Hunters. So if you start applying yeah. it that way, how many of the holes will that make in in other rules? And why can't this hero carry that along to this army list he's in? Because he would exactly. And that's yeah, I imagine exactly. that's why it's for, if it's for keeping the game streamlined and and a, a balanced game rather than allowing the law to go in there. So yep, it makes sense to me. Um. So, so next one, <laughs> on to Gondor at war. Um. So the official errata. There isn't any. Um, so no one well, there is, but no no new changes. On to the Gondor War designer's commentary. So question if Mary dismounts from Durnhelm, does she immediately revert to the Eowyn profile? And the answer is yes, the Durnhelm profile is only used when both Eowyn and Mary are mounted together on the same horse. Again, that seems quite logical now, but I can understand why the question might have been asked as well. Um mm. especially use I think there was some confusion because there's obviously a combined profile there, but there was never com- a combined profile for the Gandalf and the and the, the Pippin model. So people get confused about the model and what's the model and what's the profile. And um, yeah, I think and, it's a useful and it's the clarification. First profile of its kind as well. Yes, the combined. So there was always going to be a couple of kinks to work out, a few clarifications made, but it does make sense. Absolutely. So moving on to Scouring of the Shire. So there's no new uh, official errata for that. Um, and then for the Scouring of the Shire designer's commentary, there's one. So question, can Farmer Tolman Cotton use his pitchfork as a two-handed weapon when fighting in support of a fight? Um, answer, no, which makes sense because, of course, yeah, if you're supporting, you it's use, not two-handed. Yeah, you're supporting, yeah, you can't two-hand when you support. So, yeah. So, Ripping through them now, so this is this is the testament to what we're saying about not many uh, not many changes. So War in Rohan, um, so the latest book, there no official errata other than the two that were already there, um, and then the War in Rohan designers commentary, um, and da, 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 it's a Krebin based one. So if a Krebin is in the way of another model, will it be hit on a roll of one to three as per the standard in the way roll, or will it only be hit on a roll of a six? Um, the answer, the Krebin will be hit on a 1-3 to three as normal. In fact, this is a good way of hitting Krebin when shooting attacks, so be careful where you place them. So that's, Yeah, that's sim- that is a, that is a good way of doing it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, I can see why people ask the question as well. It's like uh, you, used to, you used to try and line up, uh, so if you had a model, like, for example, that had an effect of an elven cloak, yeah. you, used to, you used to aim at a model behind it. Yep. And then you'd have a better chance of where, you know, if it was over six inches away on the old rules, you couldn't, you couldn't see it if it was over six inches away. Yes. But if you had a model, you're aiming at a model that was partially concealed behind it, you yep. could you still have to take the in-the-way roll yep. to hit it. So you could still hit it. So, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. I can see theory. why people think, ask the question, because one person's point of view is, well, hang on a minute, you're, you're gaining the system. But the other way to look at it is you aren't the model firing. You're playing a yeah. game. You're you're yeah. not that that plucky archer shooting who yes. accidentally hits the person. You need to remove yourself, and there's an abstract there. So you are using knowledge that that you wouldn't have as as anyone actually in that in that battle. But uh, it's it's, yeah. it's cleared up. Um, 
Next one. If a legendary legion is used as part of a siege game, can they still purchase siege equipment? And the answer is yes, um, which makes sense as well. But I can, again, it's um, you can see why people would ask that. I imagine most siege games are probably friendly affairs anyway. So I'd say yeah, do what you I've, want, break I've whatever not, rules I've you a, want, and have some fun. But they've, they've only ever been. I've never, in my experience, I've never seen one in, used in a competitive game just because it. You don't usually want to have the time, yes, or, yes. or have you know be able to replicate that many uh, siege events, you know that many castles or keeps or stuff that needs breaking into you know, exactly, exactly at a competitive event. So yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm for the for the game, the Hell's Deep game we're going to play. I'm, I'm building the armies from those legendary legions, but if it's going to make a more fun game by breaking a rule here or there to make it you know to make it work better for us for buffer our collections or or just make the game better then we're, we're going to change it because it's a fun narrative game we're going to play we're not going to worry about the rules yeah. too much with it yeah for sure i mean i'm sure we can we'll proxy a few of the named heroes as yeah, unnamed I'm, heroes I'm just, for, just for the sake a, of having... as, a, as a as a captain just because i don't want to go yeah. and purchase loads of captains that i'm never going to need to I... use again for all the amount of troops that need leading so yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty keen to use vrasco as a captain with crossbow to yes. lead a you know a crossbow warband yeah it totally makes sense totally and and you know it depends what other things we've got but i think sam's got like alerts painted so we can i don't know we'll call him bert the captain or something like that we'll, you know, we'll just make the things flow and i think people I'm glad they write ask questions like this for FAQs and erratas, but I think hopefully people realise that when they're not at an event, they can do what they want as well and use a bit. Of oh yeah, sense and, and I think that, that's something that does get forget forgotten a lot of the time, especially you know when the last, especially you know the last few rounds of FAQs where they made, you know, especially when it comes to the ally and matching things, a lot of people forget that when you're playing friendly games, you can do what you want. Yes, you know, absolutely. you can house rule whatever you want. You know, if you want to make. Uh, Bilbo, you know, an absolute monster slayer, make him burly, give him, make Sting two-handed weapon, you can do that as long as your opponent agrees to it. No one cares, you can do what you want. Yeah. Uh, it's only when it comes to like official, this sort of stuff, really all the nitty-gritty of it really affects official GW run events like the Grand Tournament, Throne of Skulls, mm-hmm. and they only happen once a year a pop each. So, yes. yep. you know, and then TOs can do pretty much what they want. We had an event once. World champion won an, ran an event in Ripon once, where he decided that every army got an Alfred for free. <laughs> so you know, and that was before it was it was the old school, the old school Alfred before. So it was like I had a Grima for Isengard, and all of a sudden I had a siege siege um, captain who, luckily in one game, got like D three might like twice. Ended up with something like something <laughs> ridiculous, like seven or eight might. So I was just hitting everything with the, with the assault ballista that I needed to, and just outright <laughs> murking everything with my auto kill before they before they changed it to uh, so it's not quite as uh, heavy hitting as it used to be. It's good fun though. It's good to see stuff. Oh like yes, oh yes. Right then, we're on to the match play guide, and this is um, this is the first FAQ since that's been released, I believe. So we've got quite a lot of magenta here. So um, I haven't read these either. So as I read them, it'll be the first time I've seen them so i'll be interested to see what's here so first one in scenarios where models deploy within six inches of the warband's captain if a model wishes to deploy models on an elevated piece of terrain higher than the warband's captain does the model need to be within six inches of the warband's captain or the captain's base and answer is any part of the captain's base so that's yeah, sense, makes sense. Doesn't it? you measure you measure from the base you never measure from the Exactly. The model. It's interesting. It, surely that would have been the same for the old scenarios as well. But anyway, it's there. Um, yep. In scenarios where you score victory points for killing enemy hero models or the leader, are the victory points still scored if the hero model is removed as a casualty in another way? For example, if they flee the board, are reduced to zero, will 
when they um, have the will of evil special rule or any other situation? Answer is yes. You will still score the victory points if any enemy hero or leader is removed and the casualty in any way. That makes sense as well. I suppose the, the, the reason these are here is because we've never really had an, a, a centralised approach to match play before, apart from the just the scenarios, whereas this match play as a whole is a, this is the way to do it. So, Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I've always played, or I've always known the way it's just been described in the FAQ to be played anyway. Yes. Ring yeah, Rakes have always given away victory points when they pop. So I suppose this is fun. a way of setting a standard now, isn't it? The kind of questions yeah. that TOs get get asked. Yeah, and yeah. maybe people and are covering, to, to closing all the loopholes, as we said. Yeah. Um, so the next one: if the match play scenario is when the deployment states that models must be deployed within a certain area, is this within or wholly within? Deployment is always wholly within, with one exception: the contest of champion scenario. Leaders only need to be three inches from the centre of the board, rather than wholly within. Um, I think that states that in the, in the description anyway. So it's yeah, just that clarification. that's always been the way we've played it. Cool. Um, next one, in scenarios that require models to capture objectives, do models that have temporarily switched sides, e.g. Denethor, Thrain, the Broken, count as scoring victory points for their owning player or the player who temporarily controls them? And the answer is the owning player. That makes sense as well. That does. Yep, all good, straightforward stuff. There's quite a few, so we'll, work for, we'll keep going through them at pace. So I don't know how bad mm. this is to listen to for you poor listeners there, but I'll keep going. <laughs> In scenarios that use the Maelstrom of Battle special rule, can models be commanded, compelled to charge an enemy model on the turn they arrived? Answer is no. The Maelstrom of Battle rule states that models may not charge the turn they arrive. This includes if an enemy model tries to force them through the use of command or compel magical power. Good. These are all quite nice and straightforward, aren't they? No sort yeah. of like why they ask that question. What happens if a model can kill models by moving them in, moving into them, such as War Beast or Iron Hill's Chariot, and tries to do so as they enter the board via the Maelstrom of Battle deployment, but fails to kill a model whilst not completely on the board? Answers a model that moves in this way must be completely on the board for attempting to kill any models via its special rules, such as a War Beast using the Trample special rule. That's cool. Nice, uh, yeah, that's that's that's. I do you, never used a model that needed that, and I've only played a mummock like twice, so that's actually a good one. I'm not yeah, heard, I can not imagine that, that being before. a thing where they're kind of like starting to work it out when you've got half your model. Yeah, I like that. That's good. It's not yeah, come up for me either. Be, but... That would also be so soul crushing. <laughs> if you're a male straw battle, you get a mummock appear behind you, and just in the first, like literally just arriving on the board, just squash half a war band. That would make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been smushed by um, lots of yeah. men coming behind I've me been, in my battle, but not, not a beast yet. I unfortunately played two in one game. I had two <laughs> on the opposing side, and like, yeah, it was not fun for me. I haven't played them yet. And I know Dan's been um, been squished oh, by one, but, by um, Mummox like, recently. Yeah. It is. It, they are good fun. They're very good fun. <laughs> uh, the next one in the Lords of Battle scenario: Do wounds inflicted upon my opponent in ways other than being dealt by my army count towards my wound tally? Answer: Yes. Essentially, any time an enemy model is removed as a casualty, you'll add the points onto your wound tally. This includes, ah. but is not limited to, the likes of fleeing models. Though you will still have to score, uh, still only score points for mounts if you actually kill them. Models that are trampled, stroke run over by friendly war beast or chariots. Models removed by special rules such as Candish's Heart of Darkness, and even situations such as models being removed as a result of falling damage. Okay. And, uh, and uh, demolition charges. Yes. So yes. everything I said earlier. Scrap that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was uh, talking up my ass. Well, that was kind of a, it was more of a, a hypothesizing based on what it would, might yeah, have been before. I, like I said, I've never used a demo team and never come across one in game, so I wouldn't know. But yeah, there you go. Oh, good. Yeah, another useful clarification. Do models that spend will points as if they were fate points give points towards the wound tally for spending will points in this manner uh, in the Lords of Battle scenario? Answer no. The the will points are spent as if they were fate points, though they are not in themselves fate points and therefore will not count towards the wound tally. Okay. Yep. Um, question next one. Do models that are benefiting from the fury magical power give points towards the wound tally for making a fury save? No. And we're nearly at the end now. I'm sure everyone's dying to dying to hear that. If a model gains <laughs> my points in the same way, such as winning heroic challenge, can they regain them in Lords of Battle and Conquest champion contest of champion scenarios? Even if this would take them back above their starting my points, answer yes. Models that gain my points in some way, then and then spend them, can still regain them in scenarios as they were spent earlier in the battle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you've got to spend it to get it back. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Uh, next one, in the reconnoiter scenario, do models that have escaped the board count as being on the board for determining whether a force has been broken or reduced to 25%? Yes. Uh -huh. Fair enough. Um, the rules for deploying siege engine state that are deployed within six inches of the controlling player's board edge. Whilst the rules for contested champion scenario state that your leader must be deployed within three inches of the centre of the board. If my leader has a siege engine, e.g. Bard the Bowman or Girion with the Windlance, which takes precedence? And the answer is the deployment rules for contest champions will overrule the special rules for siege engines in this situation. Okay, yep. good clarification. Um, and then the final one in the assassin in the assassination. If I choose a single, I choose a siege veteran as my assassin. Do I still score victory points for killing my target with the siege engine? And the answer is they will only count as killing the target if it is killed by the initial shot, not the damage caused by the of the area effect or piercing shots and so on. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. I, I remember that coming up quite a lot. Um, yeah, that does make sense. You've got to hit it outright. It's got to be the initial target and not hit as a result of scatter. That's good. I think I saw a lot of talk about that in the groups back when yeah. those rules changed. So that's interesting. So on to the uh, oh, official game rules now. Um, so we got past the match play. Um, I think these are rehashes now. So, doo -doo -doo -doo. so official game rules, official errata. It's just the demolition charges, and he's talking about within two inches as well. So that's just a repeat what's in. So we'll skip past that because we've definitely talked demolition charges to death. Um, and then the designer's commentary for the rules. Um, if a model has been forced to move before it has turned to move, such as being affected by the command, compel magical powers, do they still need to make a courage test if it is part of a broken force? And will it still provide a standfast? And it's no to both questions, no. which of course makes sense. Yeah. Da -da -da. Do cavalry models suffer a hit on both rider and mount when affected by special rules that inflicts a hit on all models, such as dragon breathe fire, smaug's unstoppable momentum, and Sauron's unstoppable brutal power attack? Yes, unless otherwise stated. Uh, yep. bah, bah. Uh, if a model has declared a heroic march, can they be compelled, commanded to charge an enemy model? No, the model has declared an heroic march and may not charge that turn, even if they have moved for another model. Can still be charged, 
Yeah. But it cannot do the charging themselves. So you can still move them and then charge them. You just can't get them to charge whatever you want them to charge, like a troll, for example. That makes sense. All right, then. Keep going. So, can it model with the one ring put it on if they have already charged that turn? No. Which makes no. sense because you don't really do anything once you've been charged other than fighting your combat. If a yep. model fails its courage test to charge an invisible model, can it still move as normal, including charging a different target? Yes, unlike a courage test a charge uh, to charge a terrifying model, this courage test is simply to see if the model can see the invisible model. As such, if the model fails this courage test, it only means they are unable to locate the invisible model and it may continue the rest of the turn as normal. As though, yeah, well, we get, I'm not going to carry on reading. We get the, we get yeah. the idea. I think um, a lot of people get confused because this is a courage test. They think they're frozen in place and can't move yeah. further that turn. But as it's clarified, it's just there to see if they can actually I like, I like see the, the ring bearer or not. I can imagine that's something um, that will come up and people saying, well, no, you can't do it. You can't say it. You can't do anything. And it's good. It's a, it's a common sense clarification or rule there, isn't it? Um, yeah. Can a model finish its movement on top of an invisible model that is involved in a fight in order to force them out of combat? No, if an invisible model no. is in combat, other models may not finish their movement with their bases overlapping the invisible model. Yeah, plus uh, you can't drag anything out of combat, combat anyway. anyway. Right. Once it's been charged, it's in and that's it. You can't drag it out. Do visible models ignore enemy control zones when they move? Yes. I think that states that in the, the normal rules, doesn't it? Very oh. clearly, yeah. Yep. Um... Can a model armed with a shield use the shielding rule when under the effects of the immobilized transfixed magical power? Nope. Again, okay, makes okay. sense. Yep. I always envision it as if you've been immobilized or transfixed, you can't do anything physical. No, you're, you're well, it's... So if you can't, yeah, if you can't move or you can't shoot, you can't do whatever, how can you shield in my mind? Exactly, exactly. You've been immobilized or you've been transfixed by something. You're not going to, you haven't got the power to then think about doing something else really. Um, yeah. Does a model that has the parallel, that has been paralyzed need to make a courage test for being part of a broken force and do they still provide a stand fast? And it's no to both questions. No. Yeah, it's exactly the same as transfix. Yeah. Plus, I find that if anything's still alive after being paralysed to the point where it has to take courage tests for breaking, you've not done it. <laughs> it doesn't right. happen very often, does it? No, usually they've all been spent, and that all the paralysed models have been squished by that point. Um, do Sauron, the Necromancer, and Ringwraith models ignore the invisible rule for models made invisible by the Shroud of Shadows' magical power in the same manner as the One Ring? Yes. Um, Straightforward. Can a war beast be targeted by Shroud of Shadow's magical power? No. No. Too big. Too big. Yeah. We're getting towards the end now, people. I'd be pleased to know. A few more. Um, when a bomb is dropped, can oh no, we've covered that already. So it's, it's yeah. about a number of people touching. Every everyone trying to gain that extra inch. Yep. Overlap and so is the demolition charge. And so the next three have all been covered already in the armies of um Armies of Lord of the Rings. Do, 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 do. Yep, and the next four, actually. They're all the demolition charge one. Uh, question, are the objective markers or any other kind of marker, such as a cave drake's nest marker, counted as impassable terrain, difficult terrain or open terrain? And markers are treated as open terrain, and models may finish their movement on top of them if they wish. Um, I've seen that asked a few times, quite a few. I think even yes. events I've played at, I've had people, opponents that say, is that a terrain or how does it work and um yeah it's uh, it's not really I've never there. come never come across it but that does clarify it because in my mind it's a marker but for something like the the cave drake for example i don't have the model it's another one of my i want to get models but i'd yeah. have mounted the eggs on a base 
Yes. And I'd have just been like, you can move in it, but not over it because I'd have just put it on a 25 mil base. But it does make sense that it's actually going to be like, you know, use a marker such as a, you know, like a, a I don't know, Tempe coin or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Something to actually put it down. You can just go straight over the top of it, like you have in the, um, just the, the, the scenario generals. with the, the four, the, the, the four markers that you flip it over. Yep. To well, whichever that... side. I can't remember the scenarios. It's been that long since I played. <laughs> I've not played a game in about a year. So. I'm a little bit out with the with the name games, but yeah, the, it makes sense. You know, they're all you they're can all do essentially that. Yeah, it makes flat. Sense. They're, they're only they're, they're only there for measuring purposes to do with the effect of yeah, the marker to, to give the area effect. Yeah, such as like AoE in the third and the rule, etc. Cool. So, in scenarios where models deploy within six inches of the warband's captain, if a player wishes to deploy models on an elevated piece of terrain or hot, we've already covered that as well. That was we have yep in another section, and that is the end of that. So, battle companies. Now, I've not played battle companies, but there is one here. So, I haven't either. For the point of completion, I'm going to read it out. So, those of you listeners <laughs> who um, know what this is, it's to do with the scenario, I think. So, in the recovery scenario, can models move the relic off any board edge or just their opponent's board edge as part of the objectives? Only your opponent's board edge. So, those of you who have played battle companies, recovery scenario, and that was a question. There's your answer. So you've probably already read it. Uh, but it seemed a shame to leave it out, having read everything else. Um, yeah. Um, that, that's brought us to the end really of it and um, with all the reading involved in that I'm glad there wasn't an awful lot more um, <laughs> but like like we said at the beginning um, we covered the main two right, right at the top of it really so I think people have probably yeah. switched off by now unfortunately which is why I let you shout out your YouTube channel before we got into it because you don't want people it, yeah. missing everyone it would've, everyone would have turned off by now <laughs> if anyone has made it off. so far we made it this far I do thank you for listening to my uh, blabberings <laughs> and uh, random uh, thoughts on rules like I said I'm not the best not the best player I'm usually sat down at the bottom and my rules knowledge is not always on point I'm pretty sure there'll be if any of the the, the better players across the various worldwide leagues are listening in they probably I've said something they've probably gone stupid fool that's not how it's played or that's wrong or just forgive me on that I've not played a game for about a year so they're probably already fed up of listening to the, to the three of us normally here for making those mistakes but I think it's a good you know, from from a non-competitive player's standpoint, it looks like a really good FAQ, as we've already said. The only yeah, thing that maybe we might things. like to see, would make sense to see, would maybe something that allows uh, Smaug to be hit in the same way as other big beasties as siege targets, because you'd imagine he should be a siege target. If, yeah, if and that'll probably come, that's probably, I, I don't even will. say, it's probably not even an oversight, it's just probably something that was never really considered at the time yeah, yeah. how many times so do you see him there but yeah i mean the amount of rules you have to go through to double check and triple check to make sure you've closed, closed all, the, all the all the loopholes you know things are going to slip through I, I dread to think if i'd ever had been in charge of anything like this such as faqs or rules writing how many loopholes i'd have let myself open to so Absolutely i've done a fantastic job just for there to be a couple every six months where someone's gone oh i've actually thought of this where it's, like you said, it's just not come up before. For whatever reason, the armies have played against each other's scenarios. It just hasn't happened, and therefore they've not thought about it. So uh, they've done a brilliant job. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you very much for your, your time this evening. And, thank um, you very much for having me. Not at all. We will, we'll definitely have you on again, and we will um, hopefully, everything goes to plan, and we get together uh, um, not too far distant future and get this big 
Helm's Deep game in. We've got to obviously get um, a weekend that um, we can all get together and, and do that. Yes. Um, when you're we'll have, away uh, with, with work and Dan up from or across from cross and down a bit from Peterborough and Sam up from Portsmouth. Um, and then hopefully we'll have some army lists to discuss uh, come mm. October ish. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Lotsam and Jetsam. Absolutely. Well, I've got to speak to um, I've got to speak to Chip. In the yeah, next couple of weeks about see, how things got to work there. See, see what but, the crack is with that. So the, the, hopefully the biggest, that does because we are co. I say co-hosting it. You're running it. I'm just being the gobby one that shouts at everybody to. Yeah, you, you're going to be my, 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 rules, my rules man on the day. So um. Oh yeah. Um, we uh, we'll have all these FAQs printed out in a big book for me, so I can flip through them all. I've got them on my desk, printed, ready for this. So, I will definitely bring <laughs> so things we got to things we got to discuss there. Obviously, I mean, we talked about on the last show. Also, the biggest headaches we got is what what comes with announcements from the government in the next um, week or so. Because we're we're two days off recording as we speak, and the the things that weren't allowed to reopen at the beginning of the month that were put on hold mm-hmm. and pushed back to the 15th so i imagine we will hear in the next few days something as in uh, yep. things are going to stay as they are now or the things like the bowling alleys and other things can start to reopen because maybe they put yep. the hold on the weddings and stuff and the biggest challenge we've got is it being doubles essentially because you yeah. can't socially distance from your doubles and that could be the that's, final nail that's a that's um, a yeah, that's a, that's a that's difficult a one we might have we, to run the singles well we'll have to yeah we'll have to see how that how that works and how that looks so I'll just have two days of singles i don't know it's, what I don't want to do, I want to see how many people want to do that or could do that. And then with the other issue we've got, and we'll talk about this offline anyway, but the other issue we've got is the layout of Incon Gaming isn't really a, a nice kind of big square airy hall. So it makes it a little no. bit harder to space your tables out in a way. So I, I, I need it, to speak to Chip about does. how many tables he fits in there in terms of his socially distanced booking a table for a game and then how yeah. you manage the socially distancing, moving people around between rounds and stuff. So th- there are some questions. I think, I think we're right on the limit with the Saturday with our gaming day. We've got about, I think, eight people. Yeah. And and we're, up, we're upstairs where there's sort of, you know, enough spaces for about 10 tables. We've only got four. And there's 40 so they've people. Spread, it's it's spread right out. So. 40 people plus all the people organising it. So yeah. That's, that's yeah, it's going to be, it's, it might be tight. So yeah, I'll have to see how So, so that, that's why we've not, you know, gone ahead with um, the, the final. Advertising and all that. Yeah. Yep. But, um, but it'll be, you know, unless the world is still in this terrible state in July next year, we will have it as a as a, as a whole weekender with the with the curry and everything in the evening. Yep. So hopefully you're not off overseas or on, on something at that time. And you can no, I should be left alone for, uh, well, fingers crossed, besides, apart from World War Three kicking off, but we should be, I should be left alone <laughs> now for another um, 18 months at least. No, oh, that'd be fantastic. If you if you're if you're free that weekend, and whether you want to you can come as a player or whatever, we'll see how it goes. But it's uh, I've, I've pinched the weekend that we used to use for the Geno events um, that Tom Tom, Tom ran with with me assisting, and yeah. um, we can we can do a similar kind of thing where it'll be maybe even have Friday night casual gaming as well. We'll see how many people are interested, but definitely all day Saturday, all day Sunday with a casual gaming on the on the on the. The only problem will be will be the, the music festival if you decide you want to go back to it, or whether you're old enough now to. 
to um, come and no, paint to my shoulders. I, I think we've gone, we've gone past, <laughs> we've, we've gone past that little bit. We've uh, we've migrated now onto download. So cool, cool, cool. Hopefully, <laughs> if whatever happens this this October, if it, whatever happens again next year, will be as it was envisaged this year. Yes, in the end, and it sure. will be a big festival over two days with a real. Hopefully, it's a nice dry July evening as well with a big curry buffet outside. Lots of casual gaming going on, and maybe with extended of, films uh, up on a on a um, you know, loads of alcohol and extended films put on on the big object projector outside or something like that would be pretty cool yeah it'll be, be good cool right thank you very much again and um yeah, thanks for having me no problem at all so we'll take a little break now and we'll come back with the next heroic death match <laughs> And welcome to another heroic deathmatch. Um, we're back again, and this time with Bjorn and Bolg. Um, we were, we've been planning sort of a, I wouldn't say it's a series, but we've been planning a few um, a few uh, matchups in a row that kind of linked together in a, in a narrative kind of way. And um, we, w- we wanted to know what to do for this one. And Dan came up with the idea of um, doing Bjorn and Bolg, which is fantastic. So wh- why why this matchup, Dan? Well, it's... Um... It's classical book, isn't it? Because uh, in the book, Azog meets his doom outside Moria um, at the hands of Dane, and it's actually Bolg that leads the uh, the forces of the uh, orcs or goblins, however you want to look at it, um, outside Erebor. Absolutely. And in the end, he meets his fate at the hands of Bjorn in his bare form. So why not? We're often told that the books are better than the movies, so let's see if that's the case. I don't think he arrives in combat um, being dropped by an eagle changing into bear form in midair, does he? I, I somehow <laughs> doubt it. I don't think um, Tolkien really approved of that idea. <laughs> it does look cool, though, but yes, we're, we're, we're assuming. So so we're, he's in bear form already. He's, he's, yes. made, he's made his four up um, and, and in base contact. Um, so we're, he's in bear form because we thought, well, that's, that's, the, that's the theme of it, really. That's what it, that's the way it's going to work. So do you want to start us off? Do you want to tell us all about Bjorn? Well, here we go. So um, I'll read the blurb from the beginning. Um, I'll ignore the fact that it says uh, he's a man because uh, at the moment he's not. So um, we're going with Bjorn. He's 200 points. So he's reasonably expensive. So we're going beyond the bear profile. So he's a bear, a monster, infantry, and a hero. So his movement is eight. His fight is eight slash four plus. Strength and defense eight. Three attacks, three wounds, and six courage. So he's a bit of a tank. And then he has three might, three will, and three fate. His special rules are burly, fearless, resistant to magic, terror, and woodland creature. He has the crushing strength brutal power attack. So if Bjorn wins a duel, instead of striking as normal, choose a losing model, that model immediately suffers a strength 10 hit. If the Tawoon roll is successful, the victim suffers another strength 10 hit, and so on until the victim is dead or Bjorn fails to wound his victim. So that could be quite nasty. And uh, he is also berserk. As a bear, Bjorn pushes aside the quiet wisdom he possesses as a man, instead becoming a frenzied killer. So Bjorn the bear must always charge an enemy if he's able to. Additionally, Bjorn may not use the standfast or heroic actions of other models, and other models may not use his whilst he is in bear form. We won't cover the skin change of rules, but essentially he can uh, flip in and out of being a bear and a man on a 4+. Uh-huh. So he's he's pretty hard. He's very hard, especially in, in, in bear form. The brutal power attack is, is awesome. 
Um, but, or somewhat be relying on it, I think, in this instance. <laughs> yeah, but, but we, as we were discussing just before we started recording, his um, you know his bare strength of of eight anyway. Um, with the three attacks is still pretty tasty anyway, and um, pretty significant again. Yeah. Someone of a lesser combat stripe than uh, Bog that would be pretty overwhelming in itself. But Bog is yeah, you probably may not actually right. risk the brutal power attack, would you? Because because you you keep rolling your your you roll on your strength ten and providing that wound you you do again and again, don't you? So yeah. Um so yeah, if you knowing me, you roll a you roll a one or a two and it's over with. Whereas if you're chucking three dice at strength eight, um I, I, someone better with odds than me in their head will be would tell you that and that might well be better. So it feels like um, a lot of a lot of the time you just be rolling on your strength eight. So He's quite oh, a beast. Definitely anything lower defense of defense five or less. Some of the other here, yeah, you just squish him with the normal attacks. <laughs> me saying he's quite a beast. He, he is a literal beast. Um, yes. <laughs> um, no, I think I think he's good. I'm I'm hoping he wins, and he should do. Yeah, even though you're controlling him and you're usually a bad luck <laughs> in these things, I'm hoping he wins because uh, it'd be nice to see him crush this ugly thing that looks like he's already been murdered by a bear anyway so bold we've had bold on the show before so he's back as a back as a guest again um so bold is an orc gundamad infantry hero of valor he's 165 points base he comes with heavy armor and a two-handed pick and the pick might be useful for piercing strike for hurting you um when we get around to combat um he has heroic march strike strength and challenge um i think strike will come in useful <laughs> as we see all we all we seem to do is pick characters with strike and, and both use strike at the moment so that might change in the future he does have the option to take a warg and an orc bow but obviously hasn't got those for this part of the show um so his little blurb he's a, he's a second in command under azog Bolg rules orcs of Mount Gundabad with an iron fist. This is obviously film fluff rather than um, what we're fighting today with under book fluff. Every bit as cruel as his deadly sire, Bolg fights with staggering strength and viciousness. His every effort intended to break bones and shed blood of those who oppose him. At the Battle of Five Armies, Bolg is eager to unleash his brutality upon the dwarves who have invaded him. So... Um, special rules: Ancient enemies, dwarf and elf, um, won't won't come in on this um, this fight, obviously. But that basically means re-rolling ones. Um, he's burly, which means his two-handed pick becomes even better. Um, he has a special rule called Bringer of Death. Um, again, we won't go into the details of that, but basically he starts to cause terror once he's caused a couple of people, and then he goes Harbinger of Evil once he's killed more. And I think once he goes up to 10, he gains Mighty Hero special rule. So you kind of keep tally of your kills, and, and most people listen to this be more than well aware of how Bowl works. And he can have he has Morgul Arrows as well with his bow if he has it. So um, we talked about this before. I think the key is going to be... Um, trying to um, hope that I win the fight early and do some damage to you before you um, you can to me, really. I think I think if it goes on for more than one or two turns, I think you're going to end up um, splatting Bolg. Bolg needs to roll good and roll early and, and do some do some early damage and you fail all those fate you've got. <laughs> I think he's in trouble. I think he could go either way, but I think, um, I think Bjorn should win. So, should we get started? Absolutely. Right. I'm so just to mention, actually, um, Bjorn does have uh, heroic strike, heroic strength, and heroic defense. I forgot to mention that. Previously. He does. He does. Does. Does he still have those? He must still have them as the bear as well. It doesn't specify otherwise. So unless I would anyone wants to uh, get in contact after us and tell me off, I'm going to use them. <laughs> yeah, because the page splits over, doesn't it? You've got um, 
you, you've got your, your profile as, as normal Bjorn and it flicks over and you've got your bear profile um, but um, we, we will assume and someone can write in or email in and tell us no we shouldn't have had strike or something like that um, right so are you striking up I'm not going to in this instance I'm going to save my might for that uh, crushing strength just in case I need it well there'll be no need for me to either then um, as already uh, what's your fight actually what's your fight is the bear eight, Five, eight. do I want to do I want to mm, yeah I've got to actually otherwise right what am I going to roll uh, a five. Oh dear Okay. Yeah, I've got to go. I've got to get the high dice on this one. And you've got Burley as well, so he's not even the double-handed weapon. I am going to be piercing striking as well. So. I have a six. Ah, oh, so do I. I have two. Right. Okay, okay. This is what I needed. So with the strength of five, he's double-handed. Hits on six. Needing six. Uh, three. What's that? So, and piercing strike. So it's threes we worked out, wasn't it? Yes. So. Piece and strike was important. Um, two wounds. Two rolls of fate. Oh, failed both. So uh, Bjorn is down to a single wound now. Right. Let's take two fate off. And yeah, that's not good at all. It's not how we wanted it to be. <laughs> this is my uh, thing about striking early and literally striking early. All right, this time, are you going to strike up or not? Uh, I am going to strike. Right. Why not? And me too. Right. So I've unfortunately only got to fight nine. Um, yeah, I've gone to nine as well. Right then, no. so. Ooh, I've got a six. Five high. Oh. <laughs> um, rinse and repeat, so I will be piercing. Didn't play, I didn't announce that earlier, actually, so I won't. So I'll say fours for this time. Um, and I've three wounds anyway even with fours so I'm down to a single I've got one point of fate so I'll try and use that which I unfortunately fail and he dies anyway so you basically <laughs> murdered him with a pin <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to I didn't even use, didn't use the piercing strike for the second one because I didn't you're going to have to it, stop but... using those dice I tell you the amount of sixes you get <laughs> these these lovely golden uh, one ring dice um, but um, yeah, you've rolled one. a six in every <laughs> every single one you've rolled. Yep, didn't you buy yourself any of these? The legendary. No, oh, I can't do it. Oh, no, there's a six there as well. Every single time has been a six. Only these three though, because these are the ones I've had in the microwave. I, I mean, uh... <laughs> you're bad as Tom. <laughs> well, uh, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. I continue my gallant quest to kill off every single uh, opponent I take into the arena, including all the thematical matchups. I should win. <laughs> Absolutely um, fantastic. Like we, we were talking about it um, beforehand, and I and I said it's they're they're quite evenly matched in some ways. They both got a lot of lot of striking power so that whoever's whoever wins that that dual role is is got the potential to put down some hurt um and like i think we were saying that i reckon if we played it 10 times that bjorn would probably pip it six or seven times but um yeah when you you know winning those dual roles is the most important thing isn't it and we're both chucking large amounts of dice we've both got high fight it's it's a good old fight that it's a real good old fight and uh it'll be fun to see on the tabletop actually um, but uh, 
People are stop tuning into this. This is what Dan's going to lose probably, anyway. I think, <laughs> I think people do. I think people probably sh- shut the shut the show off. The only people are hearing this is us, and then me again as I edit it and put it in the show. I don't think anyone's listening past the the main segment. <laughs> and with the the long me reading out of the uh, the FAQs that we that we did previously to this, people have probably dozed off hours ago. Um, <laughs> once we got past the the first two main FAQ questions, I think people are probably dozing off. If anyone made it to the one battle companies bit, then uh, more props to you. <laughs> right then, so let's let's take a little break and we'll come down and close the show out for those of you that are still with us. Thank you for making your way through another show. Um, not as long as the previous one, but still fairly hefty with uh, a good chat with Ben there. Just going through all of the FAQs. We didn't really know what we were going to do with that in the end, or whether we were going to go through it all, but we did go through everything in Magenta in the end. So some of you may have skipped through bits and there was a lot of it's kind of common sensey. But once we started, we thought, well, let's do a full job on it and actually comment on all the changes that were put out in, in August. Um, so... For those of you that haven't read them, then you can listen to that and uh, save, save your time, really. But it was good reading through, and it was really good having a chat with Ben. I haven't spoken to him, so as I said, for a chat to him on Facebook Messenger all the time, but he's been out of the country for a lot longer than he expected and haven't seen him for a while, so it was really good to have a proper natter with him. Um, and look forward to um, you know playing uh, the Helm's Deep game with him at some point this year if um, Boris allows us all to get together. Um, <laughs> or it's not raining and we can do it outside at some point. We'll have to see how that goes. So, um, Dan, have you got anyone you'd like to shout out before we uh, before we go today? Uh, the usual, uh, Legion of Peace for Wargamers, uh, who are now open again under some very, very strict and comprehensive uh, rules for, um, you know, personal safety and social distancing, etc. So, by all means, find us on Facebook, uh, Legion of Peace for Wargamers. And uh, if you fancy coming along, then uh, you have to sign up in advance and let people know. And it's one, one opponent, one table all night, no mixing, usual uh, social distancing applies. But it's been nice that there is an avenue to um, get down and game again. So, yes, shout out to them. Yes. Cheers, Alex, for opening up again and uh, getting involved. And uh, just generally to everyone else who's been putting content out, uh, you know, on a personal note in my time furloughed. It was really nice to have things to listen to and things to watch. So thank you again to everyone. Yep, fantastic. It's good. It's good to see that clubs are starting opening up a little bit like that, and uh, and taking it very responsibly the way they're doing it. Um, I know from chatting to you guys how how important it is that you do it and you do it right. It's a bit of a minefield at the moment. So why we were we were recording, we mentioned earlier in the show that we weren't sure what Boris was going to do when I was talking to Ben at the end of the FAQ section. And, uh, unbeknownst to us, that actually made an announcement while we were recording on the on the evening that that the uh, for the UK, this is that those few things that were delayed open, reopening were reopening again. Um, so weddings with sit-down receptions of up to 30 people and things are now allowed. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of impact that has on events over the, over the coming months. I know there's some going ahead. I know some are being cancelled. Um, I think it's very difficult to, for an interpretation at the moment um, what to, what counts as what. Um, so if you follow the rules for the weddings, you think, you know, if you have under 30 people maybe you could all be in a gaming venue but that's a sit down menu with people you know you're allowed to then change and move change opponents is that meeting people of different households it's really it's a real minefield about what would be allowed government are never going to go and make rules on wargaming because it's such a niche thing but it'd be very interesting to know if they knew what a wargaming event entailed 
what they would say, whether that would be a yes, that would be fine, governed based on these rules, or would be no, no, of course you're not, because there's, you're meeting people from too many households, and it's still two households inside at the moment, isn't it, for meeting indoors, maximum of two households, I yes. believe. So that sort of covers you for going for a meal with, with one other friend or something, I think, doesn't it? Or if you're socially distancing, so you can't like sit opposite each other or something. If you go for a meal, you're supposed to be from your own household. It's very confusing now. but Very grey area. Um, it is. I'm, I'm not I... comfortable quite going to events yet. I actually dropped out of one this morning. Yeah, it's difficult. It's Literacy. really difficult. Um, it's really still difficult. too soon. Yeah, I th- it feels like it is for me to... I don't... It, it's really odd. It, cle- it clearly shows, and I and I'm not would never challenge anyone in a negative way about it it really shows that people have sort of different views on how to interpret those those rules i look at it and i read those restrictions and think well events surely can't go ahead but i know that that you know that gbhl are starting up again with you know with reduced numbers in like the 80 point things i think it's nice to see that coming back but um i imagine that events have should would have to be very very small and in very large areas where you can really space people out and have some very sort of strict rules about what you do in between rounds so people aren't mingling so maybe people stay at their tables and then you i don't know maybe but you all stand off by the corner and then one by one you go to the table because you're really not supposed to be overly mingling it's, it's i don't know i don't know it's obviously none of these rules are made with wargaming gaming in mind so if anyone's got any thoughts on that and um, we don't have to necessarily have to make it a huge show to topic or anything but i'd love to hear people's thoughts on it just because i'm trying to get my head around it myself about uh, what's acceptable what isn't maybe there are guidelines out there that i haven't read that, that clearly state these things are allowed but for adults it, it says we, we shouldn't be mingling kids can go back to their soft plays from this weekend but adults should still be socially distancing and i just wonder how that impacts a multi-round event whereas rather than turning up and, and playing a game at a club with one one other person it's definitely a head scratcher for me um but i think that's the pivotal part of it actually that's where it all did sort of the fulcrum mm. is on that one it's not necessarily your interactions with your opponent at the time. Um, yeah. Obviously, social distancing, disinfecting, using your own stuff, all that kind of stuff. It's then you moving on to another table. Yeah, it's a number of people. I would say it'd be the number of interactions that would, would, would makes me think: is this allowed or not? Because obviously, bowling alleys are reopening again. So it's, it's a bit hit and miss. People in the UK will get this a lot more than people outside of the UK. So I do apologies, but bowling alleys are allowed to open again from this weekend as well but that will be alternate lanes and you're only allowed to book as a family group so it's it's different isn't it it's different going to play bowling with your with your, your kids and family where every other lane's shut off so that you you're not like next to people um it's yeah but then you know pubs pubs are open everyone keeps saying pubs are open it's uh you are supposed to be going to a pub and again only socializing with the people in your household at that pub but we know that that's not happening especially in the more nightlifey type of places we know that people are congregating a bit more than that so it's 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 difficult at the moment but anyway there's me rambling on about it just because it's on my mind really with with a decision to make about an event coming up Um, but a lot of that will rest on um, my conversations with the, the store owner and things so Thank you very much for listening again. Please get involved in the social media. So go ahead over to Facebook, like our page if you can, please. Um, join our Facebook group. It's still growing. It's nice to have some good chats in there. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at OOTFP podcast and on Twitter at OOTFP. And you can email us directly at OOTFP podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, we do have our supporting YouTube channel. Um, hopefully get another video up in the next week or so because I'm actually doing a little bit of hobby so i'll do maybe another little hobby update or something 
just been slow going with uh, kids summer holidays and kids at home it's quite hard to find the time to record a video and also remember Ben and Jack's YouTube channel that's going to might be live by the time the show goes out so Wooden Spoon Warriors and there'll be a link in the show notes so even if there's no videos up go and subscribe already and you'll be ready and waiting for when they put their first videos up so take care guys and we'll see you soon Run!